You know where Nashville, Tennessee is? Oh, yeah. So we're just south, kind of southeast, about 20 minutes from there. Okay. We're the suburbs of one of, Davidson County. Okay. One of my uh, favorite musical artists is from Cheatham County. Okay. That's a, Up church? Up church? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're going to hate me for even saying this because the term is is not very descriptive. He does hip hop, which is country rap, which sounds completely crazy to most people, but until you hear it, it's basically. Uh, there's a guy called uh, Colt Ford. Yeah, is, Colt Ford. Yep, that's the same thing. That does some of that. Yeah, I'm familiar with yeah. Colt Ford. He and my friend Morgan Mills uh, did a song together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like rap, except it's not about killing cops. So. About killing cows? <laughs> yeah, that's right, killing cows. <laughs> killing cows and beers? Yeah. I'm, t- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm too lazy to be dastardly. <laughs> dastardly i like that that's a good attorney term is that a legal term no it's uh it reminds me of um cartoons when i was a kid there was uh dastardly dave remember he was uh bullwinkle and um the rocky the squirrel i there remember was, uh, them, yeah. he was the bad guy he tied people down to railroad tracks and the, the oh. canadian mountie would rescue him yeah he had that top hat yeah him, him and dave. Uh, he and natasha yeah, well, that was Boris and Natasha. Boris and Natasha, okay. And then yeah, the other guy, the I remember spies. him. He was like a little short dude. Yeah. Funny story about Boris and Natasha. I was a Soviet studies major in college, and I had to learn Russian. And um, and the the instructors would say, oh, my goodness, your pronunciation is, is so perfect. You know, did you live in then the Soviet Union? And I said, no, I'm just imitating Boris Badenov. From the cartoons, and and I would, I would just imitate a cartoon character, and that's hilarious. And it, and I, it, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that got you the inflections where you needed them, huh? Exactly. Oh my gosh! Did you ever look up to see who did that voice? Who was the actual person no. who did the? No, didn't. Yeah. Was it Mel Blank? <laughs> oh, it could be. He did all those voices. He was he pretty a, incredible. Yeah, he did a lot of them. No doubt about it. Uh, so I am recording, by the way, and all that was good okay. stuff. So I'm going to include all that uh, if you don't mind. Okay, sure. <laughs> Let's yeah. you know people knowing that you know you speak Russian. Well, very poorly. Give us a give us a little hint of uh, your prowess on Russian. Yalublu uh, pivo. I love beer. Yalublu vodku. I love vodka. Ya um, advokats. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Um, say pretty, welcome. Say welcome to another edition of the Talking Lead Podcast, Leadheads. Uh, Make it up. Mumble, 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 Leadheads. That's all I got. My <laughs> Russian is is pretty much uh, dissipated. Yeah, very. Do it in your Boris voice then, with with an English accent. <laughs> welcome to show, uh, Leadheads, heads of lead. However you say in your tongue. Welcome to, the, welcome to the Talking Lead podcast. <laughs> and in no way, shape, or form are we endorsing Russia. 
Just so you know. No, no, we're they're clearly the bad guys. Because there are some Russians that aren't bad guys. That, that oh have, yeah, that have that ones, accent. Yeah. Oh yeah. So there you have it, Leadheads. Uh, another episode officially kicked off here. Uh, the voice that you are hearing is a new guy, new guy, new guy, Glenn Tate, joining the podcast, uh, Leadheads. Glenn, welcome in. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great. We we are all we're fellow members of the Firearms Radio Network. We're affiliates, I think, is the actual term. So I don't yeah, know. It's cool you to can be part also of a cool... find us on the Firearms Radio Network. So <laughs> another That's place right. where you can find the Talkie Lead Podcast and uh, Glenn's podcast, which is which is called Prepping Two Point Did I get that right? You did. That's right. And, and uh, the title actually has some meaning to it there were there are all kinds of prepping podcasts that are kind of at the 1.0 level which are basic things like you know get beans uh bullets and band-aids and of course you need to do that we have no disrespect for the beginning level everybody needs to start somewhere but we wanted to do a podcast and i say we my wife and i uh co-host shelby gallagher who's also a uh, prepper fiction author we uh, wanted to do a show that was the intermediate level and we tackled some of the more um, I don't know if complex is the right word. We don't have a complicated podcast. Involved, we wanted to go more involved. What's it? The more oh, involved. involved. Yes. Yes. Thank you. The English word is involved. I was thinking of the Russian you, word. You had your uh, Russian that, mind going. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Not at all. Um, and so we, uh, we talk about, uh, that next level of prepping more in the, um, context of, of mutual assistance groups, comms water we talk about food uh, we talk a lot about current events not in the sense of you know what's in the news this week but in trends we think uh, america is collapsing especially under the current regime and when you're not elected i use the term regime that's where i got it from and um and so uh, th- the threat basically we like to talk about what the threats are that are out there and and it's not just political and economic i mean if there's natural disasters or something we'll talk about that but it's our belief that the most likely threats to your lifestyle being disrupted are political economic and social so that's what we talk about and uh, we have a an absolute blast doing it the show has grown uh we never thought it would be actually a thing it's funny how it started out yeah um I'm driving down the, the highway with my wife and we were playing a little game we call live or die. And uh, I should fill folks in on what that means. It's not, you know, driving into, you know, train crossings with a train coming or something like that. What it is, is we would look over into the car next to us and uh, instantly have to have a first reaction. The other person would have to have a first reaction of where that person's going to likely live or die in a collapse and why and it was completely politically incorrect very judgmental uh very superficial and we would crack ourselves up we laughed so hard doing it and then i looked over at my wife and i said you know we should do a podcast where we could do funny stuff like this and, and she said i don't know that sounds kind of hard and i said stupidly how hard can it be yeah <laughs> famous last <laughs> words and so the the show's been going on for about three years now um, we've been amazed at, at the popularity of it and, uh, it's, it's a big part of our week. We do a weekly podcast and nice. it's, uh, one of the highlights of our week is preparing the show and the guests. And, uh, we have a, a Patreon side of the show and Patreon's 
usually get to ask questions and of our guests and that sort of stuff. So yeah. we, uh, we like to interact with folks. It's just, it's just fun. Very nice. And now you guys yeah. also have this on the radio. Is that right? Yeah, we do. Right? We're on, a, we're on a few stations, mostly in the West in uh, Oregon and Idaho. And that's, that's been interesting because is that live sh- you're doing that or is that recorded? It's recorded. Yeah. And, um, that is interesting because that regular show, which is not the Patreon version, the Patreon version has the after show, yeah. which is the name implies is the, is after the show. But the uh, regular show, we have hard breaks because we're on radio stations and then we'll have guests. And I'm sure you've run into this too, where you have guests and they're making some great point and you're kind of yelling, Hey, we got to go. We got to go. Uh, we have a hard <laughs> break coming up. So well, fortunately, I don't, I don't, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, I'm not syndicated on any radio station, so uh, I don't have to worry about oh. that. So we just keep talking. I don't set yeah. a limit on how long yeah. we talk or I don't filter my guest. And that's the great thing about uh, doing it this way. You know, I don't answer to anybody but me. So there you, there go. you go, baby. That's right. That's right. So <laughs> looking forward to hearing more about uh, your, your podcast uh, you've got a couple of interesting stories also that I want to get into that, uh, I had read about and heard about from other interviews that you've done. Uh, but before we get into that, Leadheads, if you hadn't had an opportunity, make sure you go back to last week's episode, uh, where we talked about, uh, U.S. companies that are aiding Ukraine civilians. And, uh, specifically we had on Caltech Weapons and Cryptic Outdoor Group, we had Chad Enos with Caltech. We had Butch Whiting, CEO, co-founder of Cryptic, uh, and our good buddy Brooksy, who is now their marketing um, guy over there. I don't know specifically what his title is, but he's over the marketing um, over there at Cryptic. And then they brought on Kevin Holland, which if you guys aren't familiar with who Kevin Holland is, Kevin Holland is the only American to have served on SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force. He served on both both of those uh, special operations uh, groups, and he uh, was over there doing some boots on the ground humanitarian missions. And he talked about uh, what he was doing there on helping evacuations and things like that. And some of the the uh, uh, I don't know what you call it. Some of the things he ran into while he was there that he had to deal with. So it's pretty interesting episode. Go back, check it out, and. Um, we're going to get Kevin back on because he's got some pretty cool stories. I think he was part of the the group, the team that took down Osama bin Laden. So maybe we can get him to talk a little bit about that also. Of course, we got to thank our sponsors. Uh, we'll get that out of the way real quick. Mission First Tactical. You go to missionfirsttactical.com. Use the code LEADHEAD, and you're going to get 20% off. And they sent me some new dump trays. The other day, I'm grabbing them here, having to take them out of the pack. But for our AK corner, so as you lead heads know, Century Arms is sponsoring our lead, our uh, AK corner this year. And uh, can you see that? You see that? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So these are dump trays that they make. Uh, they make holsters, and then the leftover material that they make their holsters from, they wanted to, to do something with it instead of wasting it. So they just decided to make these dump trays, and they make little tactical wallet uh, business card holders also. But you can get anything that you want printed on these, and they're, it's injected in there. So this isn't just overlaying on there that, that that's going to scratch off 
that stuff's injected into that material there and it's going to last. I use them for my gun cleaning trays. So when I'm mm -hmm. disassembling my firearms, I put all my little parts in there if I'm building one. Uh, it works great for that. It's very resistant to the chemicals um, that you use. And, and speaking of, if you're using the SEAL-1, SEAL-1 is all green, uh, safe for the environment, uh, green technology that goes behind their products, SEAL-1. Go to SEAL-1.com, use the code LEADHEAD, get 25% off, SEAL-1.com. And uh, we're going to be giving away one of these packets uh, next episode, so you let heads be listening in. We're going to be giving away a full rifle or pistol kit. It'll be your choice uh, to one of you lucky lead heads. So go check them out. Hey, uh, if uh, if I could, I got a funny story about Century Arms. Absolutely, um, as long as it's a good funny story. <laughs> oh, it's a good funny story. By the way, I'm a big fan of Century Arms. I have uh, quite a few of their AKs. And uh, we'll talk about it later, maybe, but I wrote yeah. a 10-book series, uh, prepper fiction novel series, and, and um, I snuck in 299 some of the days. good guys. Yeah, we're going to talk That's about right, that. That's right, 299 days. I snuck in there some of the good guys using some C-39s, which are fantastic rifles. But funny story, um, I think it's okay if I tell it. We'll find out, right? Yeah, go ahead. Um, now, can I swear on your show? That's actually part of a quote in here. Absolutely. Like I said, I do not filter my guests. So. Okay. Because I'm quoting somebody else, so it's not gratuitous. But So I got to know uh, the marketing guy at Century Arms from a few years ago, a guy named Jacob Herman. I'm sure you know Jacob. <laughs> Jacob. Yeah, I know Jacob well. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's quite a character. And um, so he was he was in Seattle. I used to live in Western Washington. Now I live in Montana. Thank God, by the way, I moved. And uh, so he was in Seattle and he said, hey, we should we should link up and uh, go have a couple cocktails. And with with Jacob, that means like a half gallon. And so um, <laughs> so we're in downtown Seattle and we're at this uh, absolutely magnificent restaurant, the um, Madison Grill. It's uh, the the bourbon uh, there some of the shots were $105 a piece that should give you an idea about yeah. what kind of place this is. And, 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 and I don't Jacob go was to buying all like of them. that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. He's buying all of them. So we walk in the door and he sees some people at a table he knows and he goes, no way. And then he goes, did you get the fucking AKs I sent you? And these four people go, yeah, man, they were awesome. They were NRA <laughs> lobbyists that he sent some AKs to. And then the, the NRA guys were, were in a great mood. Probably it was $105, you know, yeah, shots yeah, bourbon. of uh, bourbon. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, uh, and they said, I'll never forget. They looked at me and they looked at, at Jake and they said, uh, the drinks tonight are on the NRA. And, uh, mm -hmm. I remember there was an Uber SUV involved. I kind of blacked out a little <laughs> bit. I woke up at two in hat, the morning, new t-shirt. <laughs> That's right. You know, in a, in a hotel room with uh, Jacob, separate beds, I might add, you know, I'm very straight dude. So is he, and, uh, and, uh, I threw up and he was, he was laughing at me and I said, Oh no, this is, this is going to end up being a good thing because I got it out of my system. And then, uh, he gets up at like seven in the morning and he starts cranking an NWA album. Uh, that's Jacob. Uh, yeah. that's yeah, exactly. That's and he's quite a character and it was, it was quite a, quite a fun evening slash night slash morning. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my Jake 
my Perman story. And I'm a big fan of, of Century Arms AKs. Very good. Appreciate that little plug there for, for Century Arms. And we'll be dropping the AK corner the 15th, around the 15th this month. I, think, I can't remember what day it falls on, but uh, it'll be around about then. Um, I just got done with some some corrective surgery or replacement surgery. I don't know what you call it. So I'm about a week uh, from surgery, and uh, everything's coming along nicely. You know, I'm I'm getting ready to I guess start the third phase of my physical therapy, but doing good. Everything's great, and uh, I'll get back to my training. And uh, I've got some stuff coming up with uh, the guys in Arizona over at the. Uh, gun site in june so i should be a hundred percent for that and bring you guys some good content from that um but uh, also guys keltec weapons you know chad was on last episode and uh it was more about what they were doing for for ukraine and the the assistance that they've been providing with the sub 2000s which is a great uh survival gun by the way um and we didn't really talk about Keltec, but we are going to have Chad back on. We're going to talk about their new P15 9mm pistol that they have. That is another thing why I don't have one yet. It's just I'm not, I wasn't going to have time with the surgery and everything to get some uh, range time and trigger time. But uh, once this gets good to go and I get the trigger time, we're going to have Chad back on. We're going to talk about that in detail. So that'll be a good show. But you can go to their website, keltechweapons.com. Use the code LEADHEAD. And you're going to get 15% off anything in their pro shop there. It doesn't include their weapons, uh, but any of their hats and shirts. And you know, we were talking about their flashlights. These are these are great flashlights that they have there. they got a couple of different models uh, that are great for backpacks, EDC, putting your vehicle, putting your backpack kind of deal, have at your uh, bedside. Uh, great little flashlights. I've got several of them. They come in all kinds of different colors. You can get got another one here somewhere. Here's one right here. There's a tan one. But they run on CR123 batteries. I think it's like three or four of those that, that go in there. I don't know what the lumens is uh, on them, but they're good little good little flashlights. But you can get it. Your discount works on these, too. So anything that's not a firearm, pretty much, you can get that 15% off discount. Hey, Leadheads. White Settle with Seal One. Just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product. Seal One CLP Plus is a bio-based, non-toxic product. It comes in a paste, liquid, aerosol, and pre-saturated bore-specific patches called Seal Skins. They all do the same thing, just different methods of application. The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. And there's two reasons why I say that. First, you start with the Seal One CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything with the seal one clp plus you'll see how easy it spreads around you want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes then you come back and you want to wipe it all off so you see how easy it is to put on and remove and the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean we're going to pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before okay it takes about three cleanings so i like to say a clean shoot clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal One CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. 
Seal One CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such. You will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal One CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up. Seal One CLP Plus is safe on all metals, plastics, composites, polymers, rubber, wood, and leather. Seal One CLP Plus is a one-and-done formulation. No other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm. That's why we say Seal One and Done. Seal One is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Use the code LEADHEAD for a 25% off discount. So there you go. I got the got the business out of the way. So let's let's talk about Glenn. So we got a little bit about about you and your background, how you got into the podcasting, Glenn. What I want to learn more about is is you and your background. And I've got this series of questions, and I normally wait till the end of the show to do these, but I think I'm going to pepper in pepper them in as we go. Um, so we want to talk about kind of your background a little bit. Do you have any law enforcement, military? EMT, that kind of kind of background? None whatsoever. Okay. Um, now, do you want to let people know that you are an attorney? Yeah. Well, the cat's out of the bag now. But, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, That's not a bad I'm a thing. Lawyer. I, uh, I only represent cool people. Um, I sue the government basically for a living. Um, and I've, I've always worked for conservative causes. I've, I've done some 2A stuff some friend of the court briefs, uh, in various appellate courts. And, uh, so you're right to hate most lawyers. Cause I don't like lawyers. I don't hang out with lawyers. I, uh, I'm wearing cowboy boots and a Pearl snap shirt and, uh, <laughs> you know, driving my truck in Montana. And, uh, Very nice. so I, I like law. It works for me. Um, well, it's I, good to know law, you know? Yeah. It is. So it the is. fact it's, that you're pro two A, pro Constitution, pro America, uh, pro freedom, uh, and then you've got that knowledge base, uh, and you're a professional at it, you know that's that's a good thing. So, I guess if people are in, and are you state specific with your practice? Yeah, I'm licensed in two states, Montana and Washington State. Okay. So yeah, if we have listeners funny. in Montana or Washington State, yeah, then look up Glenn. That's right. So yeah, send me an email, glentate123 at gmail.com, or just get a hold of the show and uh, they'll link us up. So yeah, um, lawyer, uh, best man at my wedding was a logger. Uh, I grew up I grew up poor in a rural area. Um, it actually, in retrospect, was a really good thing. Uh, made me tough. Uh, it 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 made me resilient. I'm I'm not very fragile. I can handle stuff that that a lot of you know, uh, soft suburbanite leftists can't handle. And so it's, it's actually an advantage. I appreciate things because I'm used to not having them. And, um, so I grew up poor and, uh, wanted to, to go be, you know, uh, comfortable and live in the suburbs and have a prestigious job. So I went to law school. Um, I met, um, a med student there, uh, who's my first wife, uh, she's, she's in the books, the 299 days books. And, uh, I wanted, I, I wanted to shed my, my redneck ways and, uh, live a comfortable suburban life. 
that didn't turn out too well for me, given how uh, I'm constructed and wired. Can't fight and, your genes, um, man. Don't fight. Don't fight your genes. That's right. Oh yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, the the boy can get out of rural Western Washington, but you can't get the redneck out of the boy. So, right. um, and uh, so anyway, now I uh, I have uh, a second wife, um, and no need to go into that. And uh, are you in Utah? And she's. Uh, no, no, that's, no, not, not at all. No, I mean, who'd want to have two wives at the same time, really? I mean, <laughs> There's that, a lot of them in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and she's, uh, she's a fellow fiction author, uh, Shelby Gallagher. And as I mentioned, she and I are the co-hosts of the Prepping 2.0 podcast. And uh, she's of like mind, uh, needless to say. And we're having an absolute ball living in a free state, doing free stuff. We can be ourselves. Um, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. The, is there a state income tax in Montana? There is, but there's no sales tax. I traded wow. in a 9% sales tax in Washington state for a 6% income tax. So I think that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Not but, bad at all. There's no state income tax here in Tennessee, but we do have a, a state sales tax. Yeah. So yeah. Montana is like the nine. third lowest tax, uh, burden, uh, in the in the country so we got nice. that going for us gas isn't isn't terrible it's uh, the taxes on gas are not awful it's about a little over four bucks a gallon and um that's about where a lot of other states are or under where some states are so yeah. we live We're in montana 380, so that's 380 something here right now yeah yeah no tennessee is a great place it's an absolute it's a great place um it was one of the states we were looking at when we were deciding to relocate. Uh, Washington state is just going down the toilet. Um, mm. There's, I have a lot of law enforcement friends and they, they tell me stories that, that you can't believe they, they cannot chase bad guys. Yeah. And people think I'm making that up. There's actually, a I don't law think that people are, I don't think people are, think that's too far fetched these days because yeah, you see that in the news is like, it's it's against the law for them to pursue a criminal. Yeah, it is. It's it's having terrible effects that that state and, and blue states like it, especially on the West Coast, are just going down the tubes. So it's it's great to be in Montana. So that's a little about me, kind of a window into into me. Now, um, you're originally from Washington State. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, so you grew up in Washington State. Well, I guess you went to college there, uh, and then you just recently moved to Montana. How long have you been in Montana? Uh, six, eight months, something like uh, that. Like just brand spanking new, okay. Yep, brand spanking new. Wow. And what what was the decision to move to Montana? Freedom. Washington, it's just intolerable. And there was another reason, and that is – given that my wife and I are, are um, prepper fiction authors, we, uh, we got doxxed by Antifa. And doxing is where they put out your, your personal information, like where you live. And um, oh, really? we looked around, and this, yeah, this was 2020. This was late 2020. And we saw in Seattle, for example, we, don't, we didn't live in Seattle, but we saw that Antifa pretty much couldn't get arrested. And I mean that very literally and accurately, it was impossible for them to get arrested for the crimes they were committing. And it was one of the factors. It was a strong factor. We thought all it's going to take is one lunatic 
um, to come to our house and burn it down and nothing's going to happen to them. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not willing to, to take that chance. I mean, I have a, a family to protect and I'm not going to be able to protect my family by staying in a place that's so dangerous. It's not like I see Antifa yeah, under every society you know, is, is rock. Uh, condoning what they do. And we, you know, we saw that in the news left and right, uh, all the, the murder and mayhem and destruction that they were doing with those riots and nothing was being done about it. You know, police, again, like you said, their hands were tied. They were under orders not to do anything. They were just basically wall fixtures at that point. And uh, they could go through neighborhoods. You know, we saw that, that neighborhood that they stomped through where the, the couple brandished the, the firearms and got in so much trouble over that. But their lives were in actual threat or danger, but, you know, nobody cared about it. Uh, and then, and then when the thing at the Capitol happened, <laughs> you know, all the, how many trials are going on right now? How many people are getting thrown in jail because of that? But not a soul from the, uh, Black Lives Matter or Antifa, uh, riots, nothing, uh, from that. And if they did, they released them, you know, and then they came out with all these lax laws about, uh, letting people out of jails, uh, short of their actual terms. You know all these lax policies that are going on, and we get not, or we're getting all these criminals out on the streets now. That you know, that reminded me of a story that I was reading before you came on. That big Sacramento shooting that just happened. Uh, yeah. Two of the guys that they have arrested in that so far, criminal records. One of them, I think, got out short, like half of a ten-year sentence that he was supposed to be serving. They let him out on some sort of a domestic abuse i don't know what it was exactly but he was a, he was a bad dude and that wasn't his only crime and um you know as soon as they let him out boom look what happens you know six people are dead 12 are wounded um so it's just it's ridiculous the mindset of these liberal uh anti-constitutional people that are in you know our leadership positions right now so but we try well, not to talk politics on this show, but sometimes we yeah. go down that rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is a great reason why you would want to get the hell out of out of Washington State. And I've heard nothing but great things about Montana. Uh, are you doing a, you, did you move on to a ranch? You doing a ranch up there? Uh, probably a hobby ranch is, is fair to call it. I don't want to, you know, imply that uh, I'm John Dutton and it's Yellowstone or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't want to exaggerate. <laughs> Because that farm do. was for sale. Uh, so uh, did you buy that <laughs> one? <laughs> um, and so we uh, we do have, we uh, have five acres. A creek runs through it. Uh, we've got a, a horse stable. No horses yet because they say that the uh, getting a horse is the first step towards bankruptcy. So I'm taking <laughs> that to heart. But we're going we're gonna to figure out how to take care of horses and what all it takes. We're going to go into it. We're not going into a Petco and saying, Oh, there's a cute little puppy. Let's buy the cute little puppy. Yeah. We're going to, um, and actually we're going to do, uh, a charity, uh, to do horse therapeutic courses for, uh, disabled folks and, and mm -hmm. veterans with PTSD. Uh, it's going to be called third life ranch. And when we talk about my health situation in 2021, I can describe why it's called third life because I was given a third life in 2021. Yeah. And so, um, it's, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, we're, we have all kinds of space to do all of our, our preps and, uh, we just, we just moved in there. Um, 
a couple of days ago, actually. So yeah. we're still unpacking. So now is it um, you, just you and your wife, or do you have uh, children as well? Uh, she has a 16 year old son who's with us. Who's a, who's a great kid. Okay. Very good. And he was another reason we moved by the way. And that was in Washington state with the COVID stuff. They just slapped together this online school stuff and they didn't know what they were doing. And he went from being an honor student, three sport athlete, very popular kid to being kind of depressed. Not kind of, he actually was depressed. Yeah. It was shocking to see that a guy like him would get depressed, but depression a lot of affects kids. everybody. Yeah. A lot of kids went through that. Yeah. And he need, and, and, and he was just not going in a good direction. And what he needed was the American high school experience. And, uh, they only, they only shut down schools in Montana for two weeks in about April of 2020. And, uh, he could go to prom, uh, play football, um, go to a real school with real kids. And, uh, it was a huge factor. He is, he is absolutely thriving now in Montana. And that was, that was another big factor. But you're never going to see those stats. Those stats no. never come up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and speaking of COVID, I just heard Nancy Pelosi uh, got COVID today. She con oh. contracted uh, COVID today. Well, she's vaccinated. How's that even possible? She's like double, triple boosted. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I just don't see how that's possible. But she yeah. is. Yeah, she's got it. There you go. Um, So we talked a little bit about your background there. Um. There was something I was going to ask you about your background. I'll come back to it. Um, so being a prepper, uh, I know you're not just gung-ho firearms kind of guy, but you are into firearms. You like your firearms. You do uh, support the Second Amendment. What was the, uh, the first firearm that you can recall owning? Oh, uh, Winchester Model 39 pump action 22 uh i think it's a 39 uh, made in 1939 uh that was that was my well, oh my goodness down. my favorite i still have it it's uh it's in a safe in a silicone sock i mean it's like it's never getting touched that 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 gun means everything to me is that an heirloom was, family heirloom absolutely absolutely handed down and um uh my second uh was a um Smith and Wesson 22 pistol, I think a 412 or something. It's the one with the uh, the barrel at, at the bottom. They don't make them anymore. Mm -hmm. I forget the model number. Um, I love guns. I absolutely love guns. But you're right. When it comes to prepping, um, I, I try to cover all of the topics that you need to know something about slash have equipment for. Yeah. And it's really it's really easy to just focus on guns, especially guys like us uh and and i kind of have to pry myself away from guns and do stuff that i'm less interested in um you know water which kind of is important yeah water uh, food <laughs> you know that kind of stuff shelter uh <laughs> but we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about that we're, we're building up to it so you, you still have the that um that winchester and was that like a mm -hmm. grand your grandfather's or your father's it was my grandfather's, yeah, okay. and then and then my dad and uh, dad gave it to me. Um, yep, it's an amazing, it's a beautiful gun. I looked on Gun Broker, and I think it's worth 
you know, 3000 bucks or something right wow, now. Wow. Nice. Uh, it'll never get sold yeah. ever. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about, about firearms. Um, you know, people who buy vehicles and say, they go, Hey, this is an investment. This is an investment. A vehicle is really not an investment because they depreciate in value. So as soon as you drive them off the lot and, uh, unless you keep it pristine and whatever, you got to wait 20, 30 years before maybe you, you get any kind of return on a, a vehicle, but firearms are like gold. They're a commodity. Firearms and ammunition. You know, you can never go wrong investing in firearms. Well, it's funny you mention that. I mean, some cold hard facts with that. Um, uh, a good friend of mine who's super cool here in Montana, and in Montana you can do face to face sales. So uh, he uh, he knows I'm an AK guy, and he said uh, I got an AK an arsenal AK 104 and nice. uh, four thousand rounds of non corrosive five four five. And I said, what do you want for it? And he said, 3,200 bucks. <laughs> that rifle now. Did you talk him rifle. down? <laughs> no, I, I, I said, are you sure? And, and, and it was kind of a homie hookup. And, uh, uh, okay. So he knew what he had. He was just giving you the good buddy discount right off. Oh, he's in the gun business. Yeah. Okay. He knew exactly what he had. Okay. Yeah. And he, he had a bunch of AK 74s and, uh, and he didn't need it. And he was kind of, you know, standardizing his his ammo and magazines um that rifle now and i'm not sure it's a hundred percent exactly the same gun but um i saw gun broker an ak-104 uh, never been fired by the way mm -hmm. um for uh seven thousand bucks i uh, don't um, doubt it i definitely definitely don't doubt it. ak's have skyrocketed in value over the past five years ten years it's just you know double triple quadrupled in value and uh, oh the days the days of uh century arms c39 version twos for 600 bucks those are over <laughs> yeah the 600 buck ak is is there's still a few of them out there you know the uh pioneer arms are still making a lower end uh, ak and the new the new century arms the one they have the uh, bft um the bulge front trunnion trunnion um that replaced their Visca. I think there's, mm -hmm. they're like seven, seven, 800, you know, so pretty decent in, in today's market entry point. Very affordable. Yep. So you can still get into those, but uh, maybe we should have you on the AK corner. One of the AK corner episodes. I didn't, uh, didn't realize that you were such an AK fan. Oh yeah. I, no, I'd, I'd love to be. I, I'm, I don't know that I'm an expert, but uh, I'm an enthusiast. Well, that, that qualifies you. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, no doubt. Uh, so before we get into some of our other questions, let's um, let's hear about. I want to know what got you into prepping. What was the what was the moment or or scenario in your life that happened that made you decide, like, hey, I need to start preparing for a collapse in? Because oh, I, I remember what my question was. Now you you also okay. have a governmental background. You worked for the government. That, That's right. That is that is kind of what I wanted to talk about. And I think this question will probably lead into that. Um, but what was that key moment that you're like, yeah, I've really got to start doing something? Because I see the writing on the wall. <laughs> Doritos is the answer. Doritos. Um, I went. To, uh, I should start off and say that I, I, you know, as I mentioned, grew up rural and poor, and I had all these country boy skills that I let perish and atrophy. And uh, I realized I had this this voice in my head that said, 
you're you're not going to make it through a disruption because you're soft. And so with that little thought, I was at the grocery store and uh, I love Doritos. Who doesn't? I mean, you know, this guy loves them. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're my favorite Any flavor, especially the Tapatio flavor with sour cream. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, I haven't heard of so, that one. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's a West Coast thing. Tapatio is a, a Mexican seasoning, like a hot yeah. sauce. I know I know what Tapatio is. I didn't know they had Doritos in, in Tapatio. I just like the good old nacho cheese Doritos. I like to make nachos out of them. Ooh. You know, they're nacho squared. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so those are awesome. But so please, I looked, let's get I was off at the Doritos. grocery store. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was like, enough of Dur- enough about Doritos. <laughs> yeah. Doritos actually play a uh, somewhat prominent role in uh, the 299 Days book series because I'm always talking about Doritos. But I, I was at the grocery store and I looked and at the shelf and I realized they only had a, a day or two maybe of Doritos on the shelf. And then I went, because I'm weird, I went back to the back of the store in the, through the parking lot. And I saw the semi bays and there were all these semis rolling in, backing up and unloading food. And they, they were just, maybe I caught them at a time when they were all there, but it just seemed like it was around the clock deliveries and there wasn't much on the actual shelves. They, it was just in time inventory, a term I, I later figured out what that meant. Mm-hmm. And as the name implies, it means they only have, let's say two, two days worth of Doritos and then they get resupplied from in the case of the West coast um, giant distribution centers out of LA. So your Doritos have to travel a thousand miles or whatever it is. And, and I thought, you know, if there's a hiccup in the road conditions, like people are shooting at truckers or robbing truckers or the price of diesel goes way up or truckers go on strike or truckers get storms, flu, hurricanes. I mean, whatever, whatever it takes to have disruptions, people aren't going to have their Doritos. There's no, there's no warehouse locally full of Doritos. And that got me thinking. And then that really fit in with the, the loss of my country boy skills. And I, and I realized how fragile the American supply chain is. Boy, did we all find out about that last year? Didn't we? We found out all those fears were correct that it's, it's very fragile. Found out about it again. That's not the first time. Remember the toilet paper? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we call them TP preppers, uh, yeah. prepping 1.0ers. And so that got me thinking, I need to do something. I need to do something for my family, and I need to get my skills up. I need to get my mindset. I need to get in shape. Um, I call the the suburban slug years where I just sat on the couch and ate nachos, the docker years, right? I mean, I'm wearing dockers, and I just work in my office job and come home and, and eat a bunch and sit on the couch, and and, and, and I wasn't really living. Um, I started listening to a podcast called The Survival Podcast, pretty uh, popular, about 100,000 downloads a day. And, um, and, I, and I got really energized and I realized that it was possible to learn what I needed to learn, to be more self-reliant and to get stuff. And you'll notice the order in which I put those things, skills first and stuff second. And it was possible to be a lot more prepared than everybody around me. And then I just kept going on it and going on it. And uh, I ran into a lot of resistance with my first wife. I, we're, this isn't going to be the uh, complaint about the ex-wife hour because that's not good. That's not good podcasting. Nobody wants to hear that. When I hear somebody start going off about their 
their ex-spouse, I tune it out too, so I'm not going to do that to you. But well, just I'll catch to you say, off if you started that because nobody wants to do that, <laughs> like you said. But, <laughs> That's right. But what, point, but what point in your life was it? How many years ago was this? This was about 2008. Okay, around 2008. The election of Barack Obama factored into my yeah. concern about the direction of the country. Yeah. Yeah. So kept preparing, did it slowly, learned a bunch of stuff, challenged myself, got in shape, um, just was living a better life. And um, so I started preparing, and that, of course, includes getting food and ammo and stuff. And I needed to come up with a cover story. I was keeping things at an offsite uh, storage location because my, my then wife uh, wouldn't let me prep. And yes, I said let. Yeah, because it's true. And um, so I needed to come up with a reason when the shit hit the fan and all of a sudden all the stuff that was in the storage shed ended up in our garage. There'd be ammo cans stacked up and all kinds of stuff. I needed to explain to her why that stuff was there. So I came up with the Easter Bunny story and uh, I put on a post-it note, some bullet points. And my idea was to say to her, uh, and I was rehearsing the story because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a litigator. I prepare trials, basically, and, and it's my nature to, to to get bullet points down. And uh, and I was going to say the Easter Bunny brought this stuff, which was my way of saying not I told you so and not how you've been so wrong for not letting me prepare. Um, and the Easter Bunny story, you know, turned into a page, which turned into a couple pages. And then I realized that this story – this explanation, the Easter Bunny story, would make a great little chapter. I'd never written fiction before. Um, and so I, I wrote it up, and I was going to put it on the Survival Podcast um, uh, forum at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I ended up getting a 10-book publishing deal because I wrote 10 books from it. Um, so that's how I got into prepping, and um, I've accelerated um, through it in the sense that, um, I, I haven't sloughed off. I take it more seriously every day. It's very easy to look at the headlines and realize that you got to be ready for something. Well, not um, only that, but you see what's happening in other countries, Ukraine, you know, it's not just a, a governmental collapse. It's a actual, you know, being taken over by another country, an invasion by another country. I mean, there's all kinds of scenarios <clears throat> that come into play of why somebody would need to prep, um, natural disasters, you know, local up, uh, turmoils. And, you know, we saw the riots and things that happened back uh, a couple of years ago there. And, uh, I mean, there's just there's just all kinds of reasons why, and it makes good sense. So I don't understand. I mean, I, I probably understand. But your wife, why was she so against it, your ex-wife? Uh, she's a feminist. And, um, there's feminists at prep. (laughs) I know. Yeah, there are. Um, it was basically, I was being too much of a man. I know that sounds odd, but, um, I was taking charge of a topic. I was providing for my family. Um, there were guns involved and, um, I think it just, it creeped her out that I wasn't being compliant and sitting on the couch in my dockers. Um, and that's a huge oversimplification, but we both promised we wouldn't, you know, rip on the ex-spouses and and by yeah. the way i have no ill will towards her well, that's not ribbing. Really, i mean you're just you know what was her justification in not doing it i mean obviously you had some good reasons as to why uh were you you know myself 
too. You know, when, when I first start into something, I might get a little overzealous about it. You know, I might get a little too head over heels about it. And uh, it could be overwhelming, I guess, maybe to other people that don't understand, you know, what or why you're doing. You think maybe that that's what it was or were you doing it, you know, in stages kind of thing? Or was it just all of a sudden and maybe she just might have just been overwhelmed by it? No, I didn't overdo it. If anything, I underdid it and uh, I wasn't spending a lot of money. Um, she didn't she didn't know about the money that I was spending. So it's not like it was a money thing. Yeah. Um, I, I can only conclude, and this doesn't reflect well on me, but, but it's the honest answer to your question. The honest answer is I don't think I had very much credibility with her. She must have uh, heard what I was saying and thought it was an overreaction. Um, and I, I don't think it was an overreaction. And of course I've been proven right now. So that's what it was. Um, it's, she's just, you know, She's a normal American, uh, grew up upper middle class, suburban. Everything always works. The police always come within 30 seconds of calling 911. Um, there's always food in the grocery store. That there's always electricity. <laughs> uh, I exaggerate on the yeah, 30, yeah, seconds, the 30 seconds. Yeah, definitely. People aren't bad. There's there's nobody that's out to, to rob you. Um, and life's wonderful. In America, nothing bad happens. And, and I'd be she was living in that fantasy world that, uh, yeah. that most of us live in there, you know, when things are good, they're good and we don't ever expect them to be bad. But when, then when they hit shit hits the fan, then, you know, everybody's like, Oh, what happened? What happened? What happened? You know, this, Who saw this coming? <laughs> yeah. The sign, the signs are on the wall. They have been there for uh, a long time, but you specifically more prepare and I'm not putting, trying to put words in your mouth, correct me if I'm wrong, but for governmental collapse. Um, and that's because you've got a good insight into the government. You, can you talk about your prior governmental work? Yeah. Um, I was a lobbyist for conservative causes and I got to know folks in government. I also had a governmental position, not in a, you know, nothing cool, not like an intelligence agency or anything cool. It was a law thing, but I got to know some government leaders and one of them in particular, uh, was a prepper. And I remember thinking he's got access to all kinds of information, not classified. I'm thinking more like economic forecasts and stuff like that. And, and he's got all kinds of friends and contacts and he could easily just kind of float along in life if he wanted to. Why is this guy preparing for something bad? And that got me thinking. So I've always operated when, when I was in Washington state, I should say in kind of governmental circles, I was always the, the one conservative who, you know, all everyone's liberal. I lived in Olympia, the state capital, which is like, state workers in Washington state, it's like double liberal. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I was the one conservative people, you know, could tolerate. Um, and so I, I get to know them and I got to see how they thought and it scared the bejesus out of me to see <laughs> how these, these people, they really don't think anything bad will ever happen. They think they'll be taken care of. And in a lot of ways they are because they get what they want. Yeah. There's there's two justice systems in this country, I hate to say. Ours and theirs. And, yeah, and I 
you know, I basically have a PhD in left wing mindset and, uh, I can tell you it's a cult. Uh, it, it, every definition of cult applies to extreme liberals. Obviously casual liberals are not in a cult. I don't want to exaggerate. So that got me scared seeing the left and how they think got me really, really scared. And it, it was this confluence of wanting to get my redneck skills back and not necessarily and realize, how they think, but they also, they also have control in uh, pushing, uh, you know, those thoughts and those beliefs into our, you know, our way of, of life, which we, you know, we're feeling right now these days, you know, the past, since 2008, I think, you know, it was really when the onslaught really started to, to be apparent, you know, they, they had been doing it long before that, but. You know, and we're seeing it in our schools and everywhere now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're not hiding it anymore. That's that's one of the reasons we're seeing it so clearly. Like I say they're it's just a full onslaught, you know, they're they're no holds barred. And did you know have you heard the story about Cracker Jack? Yeah, well, Cracker Jill. So they I don't think they've completely changed their name, but I think they just came out with a special packaging of of Cracker Jill, which I got no problem with, you know, they're uh, celebrating and honoring women in sports. The baseball just kicked off. Was it today? I think the, they yeah. ended their, their strike or whatever they had going on. And, um, in honor of that, I guess Cracker Jack, uh, announced that they're going to be having a special package called Cracker Jill. And, um, like I said, I mean, it's to honor women in sports. I don't, I don't know that they're on the transgender band bandwagon or not. I haven't heard anything about that or not. But uh, they, you know, the song "Take Me Out to the Ballpark," you know, Cracker Jacks in that. You know, buy me some what peanuts, peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Yeah, yeah, popcorn and Cracker Jacks. Uh, they changed it to Jill. Uh, okay. <laughs> you got to change everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, why can't you just come up with your own song? That's a song that's been around for a bazillion years. Uh, it's a pastime, you know, it's to celebrate baseball, uh, our national pastime. And if you want a song of your own, just do one of your own. Why hijack something that's, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, you see it in comic books too with, you know, they're making Superman gay and you know, Batman gay and all this stuff. You know, it's just come up with your own superheroes why do you have to change the ones that are have been around for decades and i just don't get it this is they're not creative enough to come up with something of their own you know they got to hijack something that's already successful and, i miss and america loved. and that's uh that's a line in the 299 days books that the uh the gorillas behind enemy lines start spray painting on stuff saying i miss america and those three words say it all for a lot of us we we miss America. America was good and it was better than America currently is any way you want to measure it. And we, we're not asking for much. We just want America the way it was even a few years ago. We'll, we'll settle for that. We're not talking like the fifties or something. We're not talking. I'll take the fifties or anything. I'll take yeah. the fifties, you know, uh, greatest, you know, the world war two generation, greatest generation of our time. I'll, I'll take yep. that. Definitely worth work ethic. You know, they went through the Great Depression. They they knew not to take things for granted. Maybe that's what it's going to take. You know, for, for us to go through another 
big great depression we're in a recession right now you know we're starting to to head down that that pathway that road right now with the inflation that we're that we're experiencing of course they're blaming it all everything on covid they're blaming it on russia you know anything but their own policies and you know the administration that's currently there right now gas prices were, were already soaring before russia you know that they're not the cause of the the inflation definitely not no not at all and i think the you know, there, there's going to be a great reset, maybe not exactly like the left wants to have happen because they view it as a good thing. But you mentioned a depression. I think inflation is going to be the thing that does it. I think that inflation is going to be way worse than it is now uh, because inflation takes several months or even years, years to feel the effects of it. Yeah. And, and we've printed so much money. I don't know what the, I see different figures. I think I think I've seen 80% of all dollars ever created were created in the past couple of years, like, like three years or something like that. All that money, you know, starts, starts to hit the economy and there's the same amount of stuff to buy, but there's way more money. So the price is going to go up and I see crippling inflation where people, you know, their salaries cover maybe rent or something like that, or, gas and and food prices are going up it's absolutely insane everybody knows this this is not you know a news flash by any means sure. but the quality of live of life the standard of living is going to be so degraded um and here's something scary to think about and that is if uh, ebt cards have the same amount of money on them and food prices double that means you can only get half as much stuff with your ebt card and that's when stuff gets spicy and that's when you've got cities that have no no law and order, and uh, people are going to start looting. I mean, they're already effectively start. doing that. They just <laughs> they're going to they start. just walk into stores and just you know take a garbage bag and, and empty a shelf into a garbage bag and walk out. They don't even run. No, they walk out. You've they, seen the videos. It's from, like they're at uh, you know they won the the shopping mart thousand uh, dollar you know giveaways. Like oh you're our hundredth customer you get thousand dollars shopping spree it's like they're all on shopping sprees now and then they don't exactly. even they don't even there's no acknowledgement of remorse or regret or you know sorrow is like i'm entitled to this buzz off you know exactly and and like and, you said the security people aren't allowed to stop them or arrest them either and they exactly just, they just and, walk on out I, uh, I can't remember who was telling me this but they were in like cvs or something the other day and this is like somewhere local here in, in Tennessee. And somebody, they saw this person walk in and they had this bag and they were just putting stuff in it. And uh, and then they proceeded to walk out and the, the, the security person that was there was just standing there at the door and, you know, dude, just see you later, you know, kind of and walked out and dude didn't pay anything. The cashier was like, hey, you know, you got you to gotta pay for that. And they're like, later, Gator. And they'll never get prosecuted. No. The police might not even show up for small property crimes because it's, quote, shoplifting. Although when you do $1,000 worth of stuff, it's not shoplifting anymore. No, they've changed. Yeah, I was going to say they've changed the limit on that. It's like they've upped it to like 5000 or something dollars before it's like a major crime or something. Yeah. And that's, that's the other weak link in all of this. You know, everyone focuses on defund the police, and that's legitimate. It's 
the prosecutors, the George Soros money uh, electing a bunch of bad prosecutors that then basically say, and my cop friends, you know, at one of them in particular showed me the memo from the, the Seattle prosecutor that said, in essence, unless it's a violent felony, we're not going to prosecute it. So you guys can arrest people and book them and fingerprint them, and they're going to be let out a couple hours later. Yep. And it's completely demoralizing to the police. You go and you work really hard and you put your life on the line, and then people just walk out. And you're doing all this work, all this paperwork, for no reason. And, uh, you know, uh, an officer friend of mine said that they've become bas- – a Seattle area one – they've become basically – uh, firefighters in the sense that they only react to stuff and they don't actively proactively Mm -hmm. go and try to prevent crime. And he said that, uh, they, they stay in their, in their police cars kind of hidden, uh, because they're really concerned about getting ambushed. And so they're basically hiding out, waiting to get dispatched to something. And then they go and put a toe tag, you know, on a dead body or whatever they do, Mm -hmm. they react only. And, and it's, incredibly demoralized i'll tell you what if police officers didn't have pensions that they needed to stay on their job for 20 years to get that pension there would be no police officers you know in in, in at least the blue states because yeah probably not the the cops you know they, they can't stand it they hate going to work every day and i feel terrible for them yeah but what do you do you know that's that's the society and that's the environment that they've set up for law enforcement men and women these days and uh, I think we're starting to see so you know them turn on some of that, um, you know the defund the police and all that. You don't hear about that anymore, and uh, I've been seeing more support for law enforcement uh, by some of these liberal lefts um, than what we were seeing before. But uh, I mean, who who knows? Until it doesn't serve their agenda anymore, you know they'll turn on them in a heartbeat. There's no doubt about it. Well, um, the damage has been done. It, one of the things that liberals don't think about because they're idiots is when you go and you basically have no law enforcement and you have the CVS example, people just stealing and just walking out, not even running, just walking out. Mm, Yeah. They, they start to have a criminal lifestyle. And we see this with the homeless, most of whom are drug addicts. Uh, the, you know, the idea that the homeless are people that have lost the good people have lost their jobs while that does happen. Uh, statistically it's, it's, it's not the rule. It's the exception to the rule. And you've got these, this huge swath of the population that are drug addicted and urban camping, as they call it on the West coast. Yeah. And, and a lot of they, those people are mental, they have mental issues. And there's the a, there's a link in many cases between the, the drugs they are taking and they, they become mentally ill because of the really powerful drugs they're abusing. So you've got thousands and thousands of people in any given metropolitan area that have given up on an honest lifestyle and they're just petty criminals and, and drug addicts. And so you could start funding the police again. You could even start getting better prosecutors. But the problem is you've got thousands of people that the only way to get them to stop committing crimes is to send them to prison for long sentences. There isn't enough prison space. There's not enough political will. No, to, to prosecute them and put them away and solve this problem. So that's, Seattle, they're, will they're never, letting people out because of, you know, that yeah. that's probably why this one guy was out probably because of the overcrowdedness, they cut his term short, you know, 
and released him. The the Sacramento shooter is what I'm talking about. Uh, but when you said homeless, that reminded me. I watched this um, this documentary. I like watching documentaries. There's a documentary on um, I think it's Prime or something. It's called the the Giant Killer, and it's about this homeless guy that those police officer befriended. It's a real story. It's a true story. And, uh, you know, he was friends with this guy for years and he didn't really know who he was or his background or anything, just what the guy would tell him. And, um, uh, come to find out he was a, uh, Vietnam war veteran and, uh, he had served during the Vietnam war. He was a captain and, you know, he had led a battalion, a platoon and, uh, he was worked his way up. He was a Green Beret, you know. He was Special Forces kind of dude and everything. But he was like four foot nine. He was only four foot nine. He was a little dude, and he's it comes to find out he's the smallest uh, person to ever serve in the U.S. military at wow. uh, at four foot nine. His name was uh, Richard J. Flaherty. Was the is what this documentary is about about this guy, and he had an amazing life but nobody knew found out about it until um so he shared with him like four days before this guy died before flaherty died he shared with the police officer his story told him who he was what he did worked for the cia he was doing the contra stuff and all kinds of stuff it was very interesting and uh he told him where his all his stuff was stored in this warehouse you know he's like i got all my stuff stored in this warehouse blah 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 and like four or five days later, uh, he was killed. The Flaherty guy was killed in a hit and run accident. This is down in Florida, I think. And if he hadn't have shared, you know, with that guy before he had, he had got killed, then he wouldn't have gone and found all this stuff. He found passports and, you know, pictures of him in the service and these documents and plane tickets and all this stuff. But while he was living homeless, he was still making trips for the government over to, uh, you know, Venezuela and Nicaragua. And, you know, he was still going to all these places like just like months before he was, he was killed, but he was extremely mentally disturbed too, um, you know, from, from the war. And he had the agent orange, I think he was, he had cancer. And, but anyway, I, I wanted to throw that in there, but, um, you just never know who the homeless person is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I befriended a, a homeless man, uh, in Western Washington. He was, he was a good guy and he just didn't want to be around people. Um, I guess, except for me. And, uh, and I would go and talk to him. He was a very lonely guy. He, you know, I, I'd go hike out to where he was. He was out in the woods living under a, a tarp and he was, he was a good person, but he wasn't, you know, stealing from CVS. Yeah. You know? Well, this guy had some, some shady background too. I think he had, he had uh, sold drugs and, you know, moved some illegal arms and stuff like that. Uh, but again, you know, was it when he was with the CIA, he got caught, you know, kind of had to live up to his, you know, his background or whatever, but he won the silver star, two bronze stars, two purple hearts. You know, he had all this stuff in his his little locker storage area. Uh, but really interesting story. If you get a chance, you should you should watch that documentary. Documentary it's pretty good. So, what I want yeah. to talk about talk about now? Let's kind of get out of the politics stuff. I want to talk about your books. 
Yeah. Uh, before we, I don't know how much time you have. And again, I don't limit, but I know you probably got some somewhere you need no. to be. But no. this is interesting. I'm I'm enjoying talking to you. So this is good getting to know you yeah. and, and your background. Um, and I I think I actually have one of your books. I've I've been since we made communication there a couple of weeks ago. I have been turning my house upside down to try to find that book. But I was I could have sworn that I had one or two of your books. Um, but I still can't find them. But. <laughs> 299 days it's fiction but it's based on you know research and and things that you've actually experienced in your life uh talk about how that started uh never written before in your life you just decided to become an, an author uh for some reason uh, we get a lot of authors on the show uh, so i'm always curious as to you know what led led them to that path because i've always wanted to write and i just can't do it I just have no interest in sitting down and putting words to paper. It's just it's just not something I'm ever interested in. But I always got these great, you know, ideas and stuff. So talk about your your lead into becoming an author in the two hundred and ninety nine days. Ten yeah, books. Yeah, as I mentioned. What's that? Ten books. Ten, yeah. ten books, the, uh, yeah. It the Easter Bunny story is how it all started and it, it evolved into a chapter and all of that. I needed to write a chapter explaining where I was coming from and a chapter explaining where she was coming from. And I couldn't stop writing. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't stop. I had so many ideas. I realized that all these cool people that I met in my life, including a, a really cool Green Beret. And again, I've never been in the military. I'm not saying a guy on my A team, you know, when I've never served. Um, no, I'm, I'm, but, I'm the same way. I, I got a lot of cool friends. I'm not cool. Yeah. <laughs> I got a well, lot I say of cool all the friends. Time. I'm not cool, but I have a lot of cool friends. And yeah. all these all these people in my life and my, my real life prepping team, um, a bunch of dudes from all kinds of different backgrounds um, that, that are gun guys that became my, my prepping team. Um, the most famous of which from the books, because everyone thinks I'm so creative and uh, he's a real dude and he's a six foot Korean guy who sells uh, insurance and he's one <laughs> of the best gunfighters I've ever run across in my life. And so guys like that just kind of I stumble upon guys like this and then I realized how they all connected in this big, huge story. And uh, as far as not writing before, this this is this is amazing. I didn't know if the commas went inside the quote marks or outside of them <laughs> in, in fiction. I know how to write legal stuff. Yeah. But so I actually went over to a bookshelf, my wife's bookshelf, and I looked at a book and I said, oh, okay, the commas go inside the quote marks. That's how little I knew about writing fiction. So I would get up at three in the morning. I, I wrote this for three years and my wife didn't know I was writing it. That's kind of hard to pull off. I'm kind of proud of myself that I managed to pull that off because I knew she would That's be. That's probably why you're not married very, any longer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You got money well, she don't know about. You're writing a book she don't know about. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't, I was not an angel in all of this. Um, so I couldn't stop writing. And I, I, it kept going and going and going. And uh, apparently what you're supposed to do as an author, I didn't know this because I wasn't really an author, you're supposed to get a publishing deal and then write the books. <laughs> well, I went the other way. I wrote these books and I sent them to the first publisher, Prepper Press, aptly named, uh, named because they, they do prepping stuff. 
And um, he said, you want a 10 book deal? And I went, what? I didn't think anyone would ever read these. Just right off I didn't the bat, the first, first publisher yeah, you sent it to. Yeah, first publisher. 10 book deal. I can tell you that's and, unique from the, the authors that I've talked to. That is very unique. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was amazing. And unless you're Jack Carr. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I kind of stumbled into being an author. I never intended to be one. Um, and I wasn't terribly qualified. This story is, it, it sells itself. It's, it's been very, very popular. Um, not going to tell you how many books have been sold, but it has been, it's a big deal in the prepping fiction world. It's one of the bigger series. And, um, what it's about, it's about me and the, there are 10 books. The first book is about my journey, realizing that America is very fragile and can be disrupted very easily. The tension with the wife is in the books. Probably another reason she wasn't really happy about this. Um, I actually made her look pretty good in the books, but um, not good enough, apparently. Uh, one of the things that is unique about 299 Days is that it's not written like most prepper fiction books where the main character is a SEAL Team 6 guy. Mm -hmm. This is all about me, warts and all, um, the Docker years, being unprepared. Um, I don't come out looking really good in, in the Eating books. the Doritos um, on the couch. In your the docker. Doritos on <laughs> the couch. Yeah, that's right. But the cool thing is, is that a lot of people can relate to reality. And what I, what I talked about, especially the, uh, the wife who's, you know, down on prepping, that applies to a lot of dudes, mostly dudes. There are some women who have husbands who are not into prepping. And so it really, it really resonated with a lot of people, like a couple hundred thousand people. And the, the other thing that's unique about it is since I don't write fiction, it doesn't read like fiction. Mm -hmm. It's really authentic. And people have said to me, oh, the dialogue among the characters is, is so amazing. Well, it's not dialogue among characters. It's what me and my friends really said. O almost all the stuff about the team in, in the first few books are actual conversations. In fact, my, my friend, my Korean friend, Pao in the books, um, he, uh, he, we were having a conversation. He said, now this isn't going to end up in a book, is it? And I said, Oh, it probably will. Yeah. <laughs> so and it, it, it's very authentic and very fresh. And laced into the story is all kinds of prepping information, but it's not like a field manual. It's not like how many drops of bleach do you put in a gallon of water to treat it. But the characters will be needing to treat water, which tells you why it's important to treat water. It's not some dry lecture. You're, people can relate to other people. And when people are going through stuff, that's how, that's how they learn. That's how they relate. And uh, I see you're putting up the, the yeah, screenshot. Yeah, so for our video the, audience, I'm pulling up his. <clears throat> sometimes I forget that I can I can do that. I get uh, so into our conversation that yeah. I forget to do the uh, admin stuff on my side. So I'm on the Amazon. Is there a better site that I could go to 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 look at your books? Or is this? Yeah, Amazon's good. You can go to two nine nine days dot com and it'll take you to to Amazon. It's got more stuff. Well, this, this other part of the story of 299 Days that's unique, and I think one of the reasons that the books have been so popular, is I talk about the conditions that are building up in America and what it leads to. And 
back in 2012, I was writing about crazy stuff like inflation, which everybody thought I was, you know, insane to be talking about inflation in, you know, 2012, uh, political corruption, uh, social upheaval, things unraveling and breaking down, most of the population thinking that things are really, really messed up in America, and some of the political uh, cronyism and and the double dealing and all that kind of stuff um, is since proved to be it's it's fairly accurate picture of what we're dealing with right now. Um, I get a lot of folks tell me that uh, instead of fiction, 299 days ought to be in the current events section. Um, and I take some pride in predicting a bunch of stuff 10 years ago that's ended up happening. And so it's about this collapse. Um, it's really focused on Washington state, but you get dispatches from other places like Texas where things are going pretty well, by the way, in the books. Um, and about how this, this guy, me, uh, gets his team together, goes out to a cabin. The cabin's a real now, place. Now, is it actually you or is the, the character Glenn Tate? No, it's Grant Matson, but it's, it's, it's me. Grant Matson. Um, yeah, that's the main character. How'd you come up with that name? Um, Grant seemed like a cool name and, uh, I knew a guy whose last name was Matson, and it was easy to spell. So it was easy to search, you know, yeah. <laughs> Google or whatever, duck, okay. duck, go. <laughs> okay. I didn't know and, if maybe uh, had a, a personal meeting or something like that. No, no. Um, there's actually name generators on the internet. Uh, if, if you want to come up and they have like whole personalities, you can get like a fake address and all kinds of stuff. You can, I don't know cool maybe become another person but so Weird. this group of group of guys goes out to the cabin and they um they start doing some security stuff and then they start building up the community it's really based on um green beret unconventional warfare stuff where you take you basically get embedded with a bunch of locals and you start doing security stuff and then working on infrastructure i mean the 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 water needs to work. The electricity needs to work. All these quality of life things. You need to have a uh, an ad hoc justice system, and all these things that small communities are going to be doing on their own when they can't rely on the government. Now, the government still exists mm -hmm. and sort of functions. It's it's a partial collapse, not a complete collapse. The more dramatic something is, the less likely it is to occur. And I thought that, you know, these these books where a comet strikes the earth and 99 percent of people die, I guess could happen. But it's not as likely as, you know, the the cartelification of America where everybody's, you know, corrupt and, and you got to navigate through armed gangs and all this stuff, which is kind of where I see things headed mm -hmm. in parts of the country, in the blue parts of the country. I don't see horrible things happening in red parts of the country, but that's a discussion for a different uh, segment, I guess. But so the, uh, the Green Beret, who's based on my, my friend, uh, comes out and organizes this community for the good guys. There's, uh, oh, I hate the term, but there's a little bit of a civil strife going on in the state of Washington. You've got the state of New Washington battling the state of Old Washington, basically. And in a surprisingly quick series of events, that last 299 days, hence the title, the good guys end up winning. Spoiler alert, good guys end up winning because <laughs> I really think that common sense and decency for the most part is going to prevail and that most people in this country 
are sick of what's going on. They're going to be more sick of what's going on when it's worse. And they're not going to tolerate it. And we're very well armed. Now, in this is this the, the group against uh, a governmental entity or is it the group against another another group? Mostly governmental entity. Um, mm. uh, but there are gangs to deal with, which, you know, are bad guys that just don't happen to be governmental guys. Mm-hmm. So there's a big there's a big battle and the good guys win. And then uh, book 10 is the 43 colonels, which is the story of 43 people who did various things, very diverse, interesting things to help the effort. And they're awarded honorary colonelships uh, by the state of New Washington. And each chapter is a story about them. There's a there's a son of a Chinese diplomat who ends up laundering money for the good guys. There's somebody that works at the driver's license office who makes fake IDs for the good guys, all kinds of stuff. You can see this during this turmoil um, that's going on and you're saying it's not nationwide, right? Well, yes and no. I mean, there's, there's disruptions nationwide, but the severity of the mess varies greatly and it's pretty bad in western washington and uh, and in texas it's but it's the not federal government it's, doesn't get involved and in- no the government of texas is cool in in my scenario and and it's not like the government in washington state is all evil it's not like some cheesy comic book good guy bad guy thing mm-hmm. um there you kind of feel sympathetic for some of the government folks the reasons they're doing stuff um there's a lot of gray area stuff. Some people start off as good guys and turn out to be bad guys. And some people start off as bad guys, turn out to be good guys. Cause that's human nature. Sure. It's really a book about how people react to different tough situations. And, and it's, it, I think it's pretty interesting. And these are all based on people I know. And so what's the progression of your books? You've got, up. you've got 10 books. So obviously the first one's kicking off the, the origin story kind of deal. And then you've got ten. Did you have ten books prior to uh, submitting it to the guy, or did you just have the one book at the time? And he wanted to do a ten book deal, and that's why it turned into ten books. I had nine books, and then I submitted all nine. I didn't have them divided up as books. I had like four books that were really long, and he's like, "That's nah, not going to work. Um, people aren't going to read a six hundred page book." By the way, the audio books. <laughs> The audiobooks, I have the best narrator in the world, uh, Kevin Pierce. He does a lot of New York Times best-selling narrations. Yeah. See how many pages this one Kevin Pierce. This was 420, so this wasn't quite 600. Yeah. I just just finished Jack Carr's In the Blood, his latest. Oh, yeah, great writer. Just look how thick that sucker is. I think that's probably one of his thickest ones yet. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the audio, I really like audio. I I prefer audio over, you know, reading because you got to actually sit down and take time where audio, uh, you can sit and mow your yard or work out or you whatever and, and get it going through. So you, all your books are available on the audio as well. What's the guy's name that reads? Kevin Pierce. Kevin Pierce. Okay. Check him out. Yeah. Because I know the guy that does his audios is really good. I can't remember what his name was. It's an art. It is an absolute art form 
to do narration. People think it's just, you know, they go, why didn't you read your books? Because um, <laughs> like, I stuck Have you heard me talk? It. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot um, of work, too. It's a lot of work to, oh, read, yeah. to read a book because, you, you know, the different voices and you got to get the right temperament and... So do I guess you work with the the voice guy to let him know kind of what you're going for when in you know in that chapter or whatever? Yeah, I would uh listen to each chapter and, and give him notes. He would ask things like five dot four five X thirty nine. How do I say that? And I said five four five by thirty nine, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he uh he he would do that. And then I'll tell here's a story about the the amazing quality of the narrator that it's going to be hard to believe, but it's true. I lived these books. It's about me, especially book one. I wrote these books. We did 10 edits, so I'm pretty familiar with the material. When Kevin Pierce read uh, some of the chapters in book one, which is about my background, I realized things about myself from listening to the inflection of his voice that I never knew about myself. That's pretty amazing. When a narrator can make the author understand his own life better. <laughs> That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the audiobooks are, are huge. Um, a good percentage of sales are audiobooks. They're very, very popular. Yeah, I would think that's probably more popular these days than, I mean, we just, we just become lazy people. <laughs> yeah. We don't take the time to sit down and read. But I've got, uh, you can see them right here. I've got a whole stack there that I've got to go through there and read for stuff we've got coming up. Um, yeah. I definitely want to check yours out. This sounds interesting. Um, but, you know, kind of a different twist. Uh, I, I like that kind of genre of book, but, you know, I like people who put the different twist on it. I had um, a John Gilstrap on. I don't know if you're familiar with who John Gilstrap is, but he's got um, a series of books that he just started that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Uh, where the government fails and uh, I think there was like a nuclear, this was like a nuclear um, disaster thing that caused it where yours was just a governmental collapse. This was a, you know, a whole nuclear kind of deal. Um, but, you know, again, kind of similar situation, but different scenario. So people are going to react different and, you know, there's going to be different things that they have to, to prep for and, and encounter. But let's talk about your prepping. Um, so obviously, you know, a lot of your prepping skills are going to be reflected in these books. Talk about, um, as far as, you know, the prepping goes, your philosophy behind, and we say prepping, it's just short, you know, pre preparation for disaster, basically. Yeah, there are two categories of preps, and as I mentioned, skills and stuff. Um, I'll start with stuff because chronologically speaking, that's what I started doing um, buying guns, magazines, ammunition, and all the fixings. <laughs> um, that, that was what got me started in it. And then food, um, you can get food. We've done four episodes of prepping 2.0 called food preps 2.0 that talk about how to buy food, how to store food, how to think about the space um, and all kinds of things like temperature and humidity, yeah. how to think about moving the food. If you're going to have it spread out over different things, uh, different places, um, all the, how to cook it. Um, and we were big fans of what we call layering, 
food preparations, which is having different kinds of food that have different attributes, you know, everything from MREs that are expensive, but very convenient to eat and don't require any cooking, having some of those, having some store-bought canned food, um, having some, uh, you know, store-bought bulk grains uh, stored up, um, home canning, um, hunting, fishing, all these kinds of things. They, they all are little, little layers and, and, and they diversify your holdings because food is an asset, especially now. Mm, um, yeah. we, we got a bunch of our food preps a couple of years ago. Um, we paid, for example, three ninety nine a pound for a whole beef cow and, uh, try, try doing that now, you know, you can't. And so a lot of it is food that that's the stuff then radios, um, uh, power sources, radios. Yeah. Yeah. Radios. I, uh, I never was very interested in radios, to be quite honest. I, I have become so. I learned about them, and I actually put out something. They're electronic flashcards for preppers, the prepper side of ham radio. And it's not a ham radio study test. It's all the practical stuff. Do you have those links? It. Yeah, it's called PAM Radio, P-A-M No, radio. do you have those flashcards right there? Could you hold them up? Oh, they're, 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 it's, a, it's a PDF you, you you download oh, okay. on your phone or an iPad. So they're not, they're not physical. That's why I say electronic flashcards. Um, the website, by well, the way, what are we going to do when the power grid goes down? We need a deck of cards, man. I need a deck well, of cards. Well, you can print them out. You could, yeah, you could print them out and put them in a binder. Um, I'm just saying they have for links you. in there to stuff, you know, to buy, to get the right batteries and stuff like that. It's pam-radio.com is where you get them. Let me pull that um, up while you're talking. Pam yeah, Pam, PAM-radio.com. I did that because, once again, you know, there's no creative magic to this. It was just a practical thing. Um, I realized that my team of guys needed to know how to use radios. And I said, so who's going to learn how to do radios? And it was really quiet. And so <laughs> I raised like, my hand. And I said, okay. okay and so me. Oh, me being the old, the old school guy that I am, I, uh, I thought I'd write out stuff on index cards. And I'm talking to one of these guys who's like 30 years old. He goes, why, why wouldn't you do it on your phone? And I went, oh, my goodness, duh, that's, that's what we need to do. Um, so I, I made these cards, these electronic flashcards, and really learned about ham radio. Again, the practical stuff for preppers, not the mumbo jumbo. Not the, it's not a hobby for me. Ham radio is not a hobby. It's a tool. And so that's a great example of skills and how you got to challenge yourself. You can't just focus on what you're interested in. You got to get outside your, your comfort zone. I've learned about small engines. I've learned about electricity. I've learned about medical stuff, both kind of the general medicine side and then the, the tactical first aid stuff. You know, I can deploy a tourniquet pretty damn quick right now. And, and cleaning, uh, cleaning fuel is a good uh, skill to learn also, how to uh, recondition fuel. Absolutely. Yeah, and transportation stuff, things I never knew about my truck. I just kind of drove it. Now I, I have a better understanding about it. I mean, maintenance of vehicles, it, these you, are things I probably should have done anyway. Can you change a water pump? Uh, no. Come over to my house because I need, I need your okay. help. <laughs> That's right. I can hold the flashlight for you while you're, uh, my 97 Yukon, uh, needs a little attention. I would think so. But, but so that, that's kind of oh, how it's in good shape other than my water pump. It runs great. 
You just well, it's, it's important to have that water pump. <laughs> Gotta have the water pump. Yeah, definitely. We were talking. What were we talking? Ham radios. I go. Yeah. I chase squirrels on this show, man. So no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> so, it's conversation. That's how conversations go. No, absolutely, absolutely. But um, the books sound really interesting. So I'm looking forward to to checking those out and um, learning more about those. Now, do you have? You've got the. Let's talk about the podcast. Now you're on the Firearms Radio Network. Now um, apparently you're on some radio stations throughout the country there too, where people can can pick you up. Uh, what are the where where can our listeners listen to you on the radio? Um, in Salem, Oregon, and uh, Saint Marie, Idaho. We're on two stations in Salem and one in uh, Saint Marie, Idaho. That's currently it. You know, we we were on more radio stations and um, then they started wanting us to pay them for airtime. And our whole thing was we're giving you free content. You can sell ads. Yeah. And there are almost no independent radio stations in, Oh, we're on KHNC in Colorado, which is actually a pretty big radio station. I can't forget KHNC in uh, the front range, uh, Northeastern Colorado. And uh, all these stations, they, they sell time and they don't want free content. And, uh, they want guaranteed money. Yeah. They want guaranteed money. They want you to pay for it. And then they'll make extra money by selling the ads. Yeah, exactly. And 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 a lot of it is infomercial stuff. That's not really fun to listen to, but whatever, that's their business. They can run it how they want. Well, the place to listen, the, we're on all kinds of, you know, podcast things. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're sure, on, sure. Yeah, on all the all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, the website, which is a great way to, you can listen to it on the website too. And you can see the other shows, see the topics and decide if there's a particular one that you're very interested in. That's at uh, prepping2-0.com. Prepping2-0.com. And we're on episode 179 now. Uh, it's been several years, and uh, we've had some some amazing stuff. Our, one of our most popular guests, this will give you a flavor about the kind of stuff we do on Prepping 2.0. One of our most popular guests is Dan, the food industry executive, and he, he uses a fake name, and he doesn't want his ID out. He's, as the term implies, an actual food industry executive, and he tells us stuff, insider stuff. He has a perfect track record. The stuff he talks about on our show ends up happening six months later. He was talking about food inflation, and he he doesn't just tell you, oh, things are bad, because mm-hmm. quite honestly, you don't need an expert for that. What he does is he tells you, or he explains why. What aspect of the food industry is he in? Um, basically, uh, distribution. Okay, so he's in the yeah, logistics part of he it. He doesn't, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a, 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 dis, a big distributor. And I mean, he'll say things and he's not like bragging or anything. He'll, but just give you an idea about what he does. He says, well, I was on a conference call with the CEO of a large trucking company that you would recognize the name of. This is about a year and a half ago. And he said, there's a shortage of drivers. There's going to be supply chain bottlenecks. Price of fuel is going to go up. Price of everything's going to go up. And then he'll explain why. I mean, things like packaging. He said, for example, that uh, grocery store shelves, there was going to be um, spottiness and scarcity, not just because, you know, there isn't enough corn in Iowa, but because the packaging, and he talked about ketchup bottles, 
those pack the the plastic bottles are made by you know one plant in germany mm -hmm. and they were shut down for covid so there's no ketchup bottles which means there's nothing to put the ketchup in right so you're not going to see ketchup on the shelves and it, and i i love understanding why stuff is happening instead of just the doom and gloom stuff so that shows you that we're that next level of preparedness when it comes to the threats that are out there and the things you need to prep definitely for. definitely a good resource somebody's a top top into the uh, logistics industry yeah yeah absolutely so and he was on a couple episodes ago um had a private military contractor friend of mine sean swanson um former special operations guy and his his views of things like the ukrainian insurgency and parallels between that and what it would look like in the united states i mean just super good stuff i gotta say i'm really happy about the podcast um we have amazing guests, and uh, and and then I have a co-host like like Shelby, who's pretty phenomenal. So uh, we always have fun. I think fantastic, if, man. If sounds, sounds like you got a great lineup there with the books and the podcast and the radio show. That's awesome, dude. Good yeah, time. yeah, it's fun. So, um, what is? Do you have another book project in the works, or is it your ten and done? Well, yes and no. That's typical lawyer answer, right? I mean, <laughs> that's one of the reasons people hate us is we never say yes or no, but things are complicated. Um, I don't plan any more books in the 299 Day series. I mean, I have one in mind, but I don't have the time to do it because, you know, I started a law firm and um, I'm hustling pretty hard on that. Um, there's a, a nonfiction book we're going to do. Um, actually, a draft of it is done. We just have to edit it. It's nonfiction. It's on food preps. It's going to be called Food Preps 2.0, mm. and it's a complete start-to-finish uh, guide on food preparations from figuring out how you're going to organize stuff and where you're going to put it to what to get, you know, the layering stuff, everything that I, I previously touched on, and uh, I think it's going to be really helpful for folks to – it's not – it doesn't give you recipes and tell you – how to home can potatoes or something. I mean, it's not that detailed, yeah. but it gives you an overview and makes you think, aha, Ooh, that would be cool. I need a, a vacuum sealer mm -hmm. or, um, I never thought of this. So it's kind of a issue spotting, uh, level of, of book. And, uh, that'll be coming out sometime this calendar year. Not sure when we got to sit down and do it. I mean, we just, you know, just got done. Have moving. you got a certain uh, kind of formula for, yeah, you know, you need X amount of this for one year um, kind of deal. Do you have a formula for that? If you've got a family of 10, you know, then you're going to, you know, multiply it by this or whatever. Well, not really. Um, those are all over the Internet. There are all kinds of calorie calculators and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, we don't we don't get into that level of detail, but we do make the point that you're going to have a lot more people to feed than you think because – people are going to come to you and the ones you want to, to be eating your food because you get to decide and there's going to be a lot of strife. Uh, a lot of families are going to get split because part of the family didn't prepare and part did. And the unprepared part thinks they can just waltz in and you've been slaving away and spending your money and spending your weekends vacuum sealing rice. And somebody thinks they're just going to and they've been mocking you the whole time. And they <laughs> yeah. they're just going to roll in and. But and, you're not going to you know, turn them away because they're family, you know. Or yeah, may, maybe you will. But, 
<laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, <laughs> we've done a couple episodes on, uh, so I'll just come to your house when the shit hits the fan on that topic. And um, it's taken me a couple years to come to this conclusion, but unless you get an express invitation and you have something to offer, you ain't getting my stuff. Um, but that's a d- decision everybody needs to make. So yeah. there's, there's stuff out there on the internet about that, but you're going to have more people um, than you think there's going to be charity. I think one of the reasons to prepare is to be able to help other people a- after I would just went and said that I would turn family members <laughs> away. Um, but there's going to be times and there's going to be strategic alliances. There might be, you know, the sheriff in town who, you know, has got a posse and maybe he'd like to be on his good side. You know, maybe you can feed some of his dudes and Barter. they won't mess with you. Yeah. Right. It's currency I mean, at that point. What's that? I said, it's currency at that point. You barter, you can barter. If you got extra food, you know, that's going to be gold. Food's going to be the most valuable commodity there is. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we talk about in the food preps 2.0 forthcoming book is one way to get your food preps together is to get barter items like alcohol and ammunition Ammo. if you want to give ammunition to people, which may be a bad idea in some situations. Medical, um, medicine, you know, that, that kind of stuff will be. Exactly. And skills. After. Skills. I'm being able to change a water pump on a 97 Yukon, for example. <laughs> Just, you know, to throw out an just example. Just to throw out an example, yeah. Uh, well, um, I, if you didn't hear, I, I just had hip surgery, so it's a little hard for me to... <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm forgetting well, that sympathy card right now, you know. Rob would tell you that failing to prepare is preparing to fail. He's not a prepper, but survival skills, personal preparedness, and self-sufficiency are important skill sets in his book. His firearm of choice, the Kel-Tec RDB Survival, says a lot about him. This great compact bullpup rifle fits in a pack and tight spaces when he feels like bugging out. Unlike ordinary bullpups, the RDBS rifle redefines the concept of platform, offering a traditional rifle grip, balance, crisp trigger, and an adjustable buttstock. The RDB Survival delivers 5.56223 ballistic performance in a compact package weighing 5 pounds 14 ounces. It has a patented downward ejection that allows for complete ambidextrous use with an intuitive safety and reversible charging handle. It's a get you there, never let you down kind of rifle. Innovation, performance, Keltec. And uh and not to steer the topics but you know you mentioned hip surgery. Um mm-hmm. I got to I got to talk at least briefly cuz it's 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 yeah, I want to get stuff. into this. I know where you're headed with this too. So we had mentioned earlier that you know there's some some other reasons that that got you into the the mindset of prepping, and uh, you know it was kind of you know life and death situations. So uh, it's very relevant to what's going on now. So I, I would like for you to to talk about your uh, your COVID and then your diagnosis there too with the other. Yeah, I, I won't spoil well, it. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. 2021 was a horrible year for me, uh, like it was for a lot of people, but it was really terrible. In I should go back to 2020. Um, the governor of Washington State, who's an idiot, decided to shut down all the healthcare facilities and for COVID, of course, because, you know, apparently there were bodies stacking up in the parking lots. Oh, that's right. That didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so he shut down all, all these the millions hospitals. and thousands of people that were dying. 
Yeah, he shut down the hospitals for, quote, elective procedures. Well, one of those elective procedures that got canceled because I was in Washington State at the time was a colonoscopy. Guess what happened? In February of 2021, after I hadn't taken a crap in three weeks, it uh, I went to the ER and they did an x-ray and my colon was completely blocked with cancer. Oh, my God. Because the idiot governor of Washington wouldn't let me get a routine colonoscopy. I was scheduled to have it. By the way, they, they uh, didn't call me back and reschedule. That's on the hospital. But that might be dealt with in a in another setting. Um, well, so the background, that I, attorney background might come in handy there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, in February, I uh, am diagnosed with colon cancer. I have emergency surgery done. Uh, part of that is that they, they take out a small section of my colon. It was actually not terrible. Uh, it, it didn't spread. I'm cancer free now. So that's, that's great news. Great. I'll just great. skip to that. But um, part of it was that when they, when they cut my, my colon, they needed to reroute my intestines. Gotta so get I got a shit bag. Yeah. A shit bag taped onto me, um, which was horrible. Um, so, and that ends up playing a role in how this story unfolds. Also, which is not a party. We're moving at the time. I, I am so exhausted from chemotherapy. I can't lift anything. I lifted a car battery and walked about 10 feet with it. Ended up taking a nap for four hours. It's unbelievable how debilitating chemotherapy is with the fatigue. So my wife had to pack the whole thing. We did 15 trips to Montana. um, And every every weekend, pretty much, we would pack up um, on a Friday. We'd pack up through the week, pack up uh, various pickups with trailers, and drive over to Montana, which is a 13-hour drive, and uh, dump them off and turn around and go back. We were lucky enough to have a rental house in Montana. Um, We recently moved out of that to our permanent house. Anyway, so she's doing all this stuff, totally stepping up, and it's killing me. I'm the guy who's, I'm a very active guy. I'm the guy who's always, you know, I can't, I can't let a lady lift something heavy. Yeah. Except when I have chemotherapy and then I kind of have to, and it was killing me. I would have to sit in this chair and watch my wife work her ass off lifting heavy things. And my second wife who was cool about it. Um, and so that was going on. And then in October of 2021, I had surgery to reverse the shit bag and get rid of the shit bag. And so, I mean, they how long did you have that? How long did you have the bag? The colostomy? Um, from February to October. So eight months. Yeah. I mean, Um, not only, I mean, not only just the, it's just the stigma, you know, having that too and, and being around people and, you know, it's just, it's very demoralizing, I guess. Um, oh to, yeah. And, to have that. and it got infected. Oh, I, I had, I had a, a one hour, um, session where a nurse had to come to my house because it, it all got infected because if you don't put the sealant on everything, you've got shit and stomach acid up against your very your very uh, soft uh, belly skin and it got infected. And for an hour I had a nurse using a pair of scissors, scraping the dead infected stuff. And, and my stepson said I was screaming. I mean, it was horrible. So it's not just the inconvenience. And yes, every couple of days my wife had to change the bag, which, you know, is, is asking a lot of her. Um, 
but it, it, it got infected and then it, I got little infections and it, it kept, it, it was, it was, it was terrible. So I'm getting, I'm, I'm so relieved in October. Oh, I'm going to get the shit bag oh, off. Absolutely. This is great. Yeah. So I'm weakened because I had pretty significant surgery. And, um, the day after my surgery, uh, I get tested for COVID and I have COVID. Well, now I'm completely weakened, completely weakened. So the what's worst a flu, state to be in, yeah, to get COVID. Yeah. What's a flu to a lot of people is a bigger problem when you just come out of surgery. So they send me home and, you know, those those uh, oxygen things, those uh, sensors you put on your finger, you know, and it's yeah. like. I had one yeah. on mine, yeah. I had one during my surgery. Right, exactly. So, you know, an oxygen level, you know, um, 95, anything from 100 pardon me, the 95 is good. Anything from 90 to 95 is, is pretty good. I mean, you want to be in the nineties, the oxygen saturation. Yeah, level. absolutely. Yeah. Mine was 51. Jeez. That's brain damage. How are you material. awake? <laughs> yeah. I got really sick. And so I went back to the ER and, uh, they ended up putting me on a ventilator, which had a 20% survival rate. I don't That's remember. That's the sign anybody. of death. You know, the ventilators, they were, in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody remembers, you know, they were, oh, we're short of ventilators, short of ventilators, because we're putting everybody on ventilators. And all those people were what? They were dying. Yep. But yet they were oh, still putting them on the ventilators. Before and after I went on the ventilator, when I was in the ICU, I could see out my window. Once or twice a day, there would be a, uh, a gurney go by and somebody it would come back with somebody in a body bag. People were dying all around me. Oh, and, and so I'm on a ventilator for eight days. I had to say goodbye to my wife. Um, because again, 20% survival rate during this whole time I'm on, I'm on painkillers and sedatives. I don't remember, which is why, by the way, I lost Jacob Herman's phone number. Cause I tried to log into <laughs> my phone too many times with the wrong password and it locked my phone out and erased everything. Well, that's not a bad but thing. Anyway, <laughs> so that may be the one um, good thing that came out of all this is you lost that's Jacob's right. phone number. <laughs> that's right. So I, I, uh, I come off of the ventilator, which was a miracle. And I had thousands of people from the show and from the books praying for me. I, I, I know this isn't a religious show, but I 100% give the glory to God. That's the only reason I'm getting emotional now. It's the only reason I survived that ventilator was because of all those prayers. So well, were you out of it? I, Obviously you're out of yeah. it when you're on a ventilator. You have no idea yeah. what's, what's it's going on. Functionally, functionally an induced coma. Yeah. And so I came off the ventilator and I should say that before I went on the ventilator, when I was deciding whether to get, uh, intubated, you know, that tube down your throat. Um, I, I didn't want to die, but I was okay with dying. Um, it was so horrible to try to breathe and not be able to, it was like being waterboarded for several days. And I hadn't slept in probably nine or 10 days. Just I mean, exhausted. It was, it, yeah. my, I, my brain was super messed up and again, not a religious show, but I wasn't afraid to die cause I know where I'm going. So I'll just leave it at that. Going but, to hell, going to heaven. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's where I'm going. So, um, I, I felt guilty though, because, I was about to check out. Odds are, I was going to check out on well, yeah. my wife, and, yeah. and but you didn't know that I at could, the time either, because none of the statistics or studies were out on the 
the ventilators, were they? Well, the 20% thing, I don't remember them telling me, but I had like a quarter allotted in my IV. So, I mean, who knows what was going I did all kinds of crazy things. I tried to pay off my mortgage <laughs> by like wiring $200,000 that I didn't have. I mean, I, it was, it was crazy town. So did they take um, it? <laughs> did you get yeah, paid no. off? <laughs> my, my wife's like, yeah, I'll get right on that. And she's like, no. Um, so, uh, I would assume that when you're in this state of mind, you're not able to make decisions for yourself. She had power of attorney and, and decision-making. Is that correct? Oh no. Uh, I was <laughs> sadly making decisions for myself. I had the, the wristband that says DNR do not resuscitate, which goes into this next phase of the story. So I was okay with dying, but I, I, I didn't want to die because I didn't want to leave her behind. Uh, I mean, I, I was saying stuff like, well, you know, I got a million dollar life insurance policy. We, we can pay for the remodeling of the house. I know that's not what you want, but I mean, at least there's something positive that's going to come out of this. This is the kind of stuff that goes. Well, that losing Jacob's phone number, you know, that two, yeah. two positive things. Uh, <laughs> Well, if you have Jacob Herman's phone number, you need a million dollars worth of life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You never know what's going to happen. Um, so when I came off the ventilator, I did a 180. I absolutely wanted to live. And people say, they use this cliche phrase, but it actually applied to me. They say, oh, with every fiber of my being, I wanted a Dorito or whatever they say. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something. With every fiber of my being, I wanted to live. I, I, I came out of the coma basically with an incredible appreciation for life. And I remember I was, uh, lying there and, um, I, I, I was yelling out by the way, I don't know if I was really yelling cause I could have had a tube in me and I, I could have been almost hallucinating, but I was thinking or yelling, don't know which I want to live. I want to live. And I didn't want there to be any communication errors. Again, I'm wearing a wristband that says do not resuscitate. So yeah. I figured clarity was important. So I did something that I later apologized to the doctor for. I saw the doctor out of the corner of my eye and I said, if you kill me, I'll kill you. Yeah. He took it you well. Lay it out, of, you know? <laughs> yeah. I just, just being honest. Yeah. I mean, I'm really not in much of a position to kill anybody. So I would assume that before you got on, on all these drugs and everything that you had signed something about a do not resuscitate. Oh yeah. Yeah. And did you have that ripped up at that point after that? <laughs> no, well, they're like, no, no take backs, no take backs. <laughs> exactly. Well, I remember when they, uh, they cut with their special EMT shears, they cut my DNR bracelet off. It felt really good. Cause I knew there wouldn't be a, uh, communication error. So, yeah. uh, came off the ventilator. I was, I was euphoric, uh, appreciating life. I mean, you, you look at life differently um, did you have, uh, you, do you have any recollection of being in the coma? Did you have dreams or, or anything like that? No, no, I didn't. Um, absolutely nothing. It's like I, and how long were you in a coma? Eight days, eight days. Yeah. And you were on that ventilator for eight days. Yeah. That's yeah. You, definitely the odds you beat the odds because I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Did you have that will? Did you have that will to live? I, I think you, you answered that before you went under. You were like, I don't want to die. I, you know, I have something to live for now before you went under. 
it was complicated. I'd love to say yes, because I'd end up sounding a lot cooler than I actually am. As I say, I was okay with dying, but I felt guilty about leaving my wife. So it's not that I wanted to die, but I can't say it was a strong will to live. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And it's weird. I, I should have a better answer, but I, I just don't because I was so your answer fuzzy. is your answer, you know, it's just, and, and that plays a lot into it. Now, you know, you had your wife there with you. Did you have any other people there? You got like brothers, sisters, family members that were, and I guess it doesn't matter because at that point they weren't letting people in, were they? they weren't. That's right. They weren't letting people in. I, I, I didn't have any visitors. Um, by the way, speaking of letting people in, my wife, who's a badass, um, tried to smuggle in some ivermectin for me and they busted her and they took it away from her. Are you serious? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, a pastor friend of mine drove across two States to get the ivermectin to her. And, uh, then she tried to, as I say, uh, smuggle it in. And, uh, and not only did they take it from her, it was worth about 200 bucks. The lawyer in me is like, you, uh, actually owe me money. Um, yeah. but, they, they gave her and me quite the tongue lashing uh, about ivermectin. And, and one of the doctors, who's a complete asshole, um, absolutely talked down to us like we were, you know, children. Yeah. And um, turns out he's wrong. But um, mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy. Um, he's uh, he uh, the short version of the story is after I I come out uh, of the coma, he's a. Uh, he's adjusting the oxygen levels. And I said to him, I'm a funny guy. I like to, you know, I like to be lighthearted. I said to him, Hey, you're the guy that tried to kill me. (laughs) And he doesn't say anything. And I said, I'm joking. And he said, I know. And he just walked out. What a weirdo, man. We called him Dr. Kevorkian because he seemed to be. But you got to kind of put yourself in that guy's shoe too, where, you know, this pandemic or whatever and people are probably dying left and right on him you know so yeah he's probably not in the mood for jokes at that at that point you know because he probably had probably had several people die on him not sticking up for the guy i'm sure he's an asshole i mean (laughs) anyway but uh. so i came out of it with a an appreciation of life and one of the things that i came out of this with was everyone needs a purpose in life and i think and I could be wrong because this is up to God and God's way smarter than I am. I think God had a purpose for me. And I think it's, again, this might be vain, but I think it's doing the podcast, getting people prepared, motivating people. Yeah, he wanted you um, on telling, my podcast. He, he wanted to be on this he show. Wanted he wanted you to be on Talking Lair. On this show. Yeah. Um, but no, I seriously, I, I realized there was a purpose. Remember I at the beginning of this um uh, segment, I talked about third life ranch and, uh, the horse, the horse thing. The reason I call it third life ranch is I've been given a third life. I was born, I was born again, which is a religious thing. And then I was given this third life and I'm going to make the absolute most out of this third life that I've been given. And that includes things like, you know, doing horse stuff for, for autistic kids and PTSD folks and really living i'm getting emotional again i'm not that's i'm not above being emotional i mean it's 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 heavy stuff now before Um, before all this you didn't really have these these aspirations is that right no yeah yeah so again you had a newfound appreciation for life and you're wanting to 
you know, share it and let others experience it to the, to the max. I think that's awesome. You know, and the fact that you're in the position to do that, uh, you know, from, again, I don't know how much money you've made off your books, but, uh, it sounds like that, uh, you've, you've done well and the, the law firm that you've got there that you can do that. And I think it's amazing that you're doing that because a lot of people would just, you know, be selfish and enjoy everything for themselves. Go on trips and stuff like that. Go on trips or just enjoy the horses themselves, you know, do it, do it just for themselves. But the fact that you're looking at opening that up to other unfortunate individuals is, is awesome. That's great. And if there's anything we can do to help once you get that going or help you get that going, 100% behind it. Love it. Absolutely. Well, when we get it started, it'll be at least a year. Um, I'll uh, I'll shamelessly invite myself back on your show. and uh, (laughs) Or invite me to Montana to the farm. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Come on out anytime. Seriously. I would love an excuse to come to Montana. Well, honestly, you you got my phone number. You just text me. Tell me when you're coming. Hell, yeah. And – it's, it's an amazing place, but we, we viewed it. We viewed the, the new property with the horse stable as it was a gift from God. We didn't, we didn't look for a place with a horse stable. We've never owned horses. And I looked at that horse stable and I thought, there's a reason this is here and I need to do something with it. It's not just going to be a place to store my lawnmower. Um, I got to do something. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's what we're going to do. So it's, it's all good. Um, it's all good because I ended up living, uh, but there have been a lot of positive things that have come out of this otherwise terrible thing. My, my wife is is in a lot of ways, the one that bore the brunt of it. She describes it as when I was on the ventilator, she would have to simultaneously be hoping and praying that I lived and also at the same time planning a funeral. I mean, she, she picked out burial plot, a burial plot for me. Mm. Um, she had to be in two completely opposite worlds, each one of which is very emotionally draining, but she was doing two of those emotionally draining things at the same time. The fact that you had cancer, you were coming off an infection from that. And then you got, you know, COVID, you had that triple whammy going and you still survived and pulled through. I mean, that's got to make you think that there were higher forces involved, you know, higher entities. Oh, absolutely. Involved. No question about it. So No one could ever convince me otherwise. Glad you made it, brother. Thank you. You're, like you said, you're making the most of it. You're going to be doing some, some awesome things for other uh, individuals that, you know, deserve it and can't do it for themselves. And I, I really, I think that's awesome. So. Thank you. Your website is, again, let's give our listeners the website. Probably the best one would be prepping2-0.com, prepping2-0.com. Other ones are 299days.com. Wife's books are at agreatstate.com. And, uh, yeah, that's how people can find out about all the stuff. Uh, they can listen to the podcast. They can go to uh, the website to link up there and then any of the they just search the prepping 2.0, 2.0, um, and it'll come up, or they can go to the FRN and, and link in there, too. Yeah, of course, FRN, which is firearmsradio.net, is another place to get the things. But as far as, like, Apple or whatever way you get your, your um, favorite podcasting podcast. app, you go. Just like yes. you listen to Talking Lead, you can go find Glenn and – I'm sorry, what's her name? Shelby. 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 Glenn and Shelby. Uh, 
on the uh, Prepping 2.0. Uh, talk about some of the guests that you've had on your show, on your, your podcast. And, uh, cause you said you, you do a different level. You, you're like a, a little more advanced on your, your prepping. So give just high level, some of the, the topics that you've talked about and that you've got coming up. Oh, let's see. Um, as far as guests we've had on the past, we've had the real special forces, Ted, who's the actual green beret friend of mine, who is the, uh, the character in the books, special forces, Ted. Uh, again, not very creative. Um, and uh, we've had uh, Joel Skousen, who uh, wrote a very big book on uh, strategic relocations for, you know, being in a better place, you know, prepping wise. Um, we've had Matt Bracken on a couple times. He's a former SEAL. He's written some fiction books on a uh, fictional civil war in the United States. I mentioned Sean Swanson, the uh, PMC friend of mine, Dan, the food industry guy. Um, oh my goodness. We've had medical folks on, um, let me ask you this. Had, I was, I was wanting to ask you this before I forget, you know, we're talking about the, uh, like the dry food storage, the, the MRE type stuff, the add water. Um, what's your, what's your preference as far as that kind of food goes? I tried one not too long ago and I had them on the show too. nutrient survival. Um, and their stuff was pretty good, but as far as like long-term storage, I don't think it's, you're supposed to store it for more than maybe a year or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but. Chunks of the layering thing that I mentioned. Um, first thing that came to mind when you asked the question was, I believe in stuff that you only need to add hot water to either. You can eat it mm -hmm. just, you know, out of a can or a bag. Cause one of the things people don't think about is, you're, you're probably not going to have electricity and natural gas and all these other things. People will buy food and they never put any thought into how to cook it mm -hmm. and then how to clean afterwards and how to take out the garbage and how to dispose of the garbage. It's an, it's a continuum. It's a system. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of stuff you can add hot water to. Um, I'm allergic to gluten. So, you know, a lot of stuff's off the table. Um, uh, instant oatmeal is a big thing. Um, I'm a huge fan of MREs. I, I wouldn't want to eat them all the time, but mm -hmm. they're actually pretty ingenious. And at, you know, I don't know what's going for now with shipping eight or nine bucks a piece. They're not that expensive. I mean, you know, there's that. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what we call, we invented a term. Let's see if it takes off. I'm going to launch it on this show and okay. see if it becomes cool. a thing. Homeries, which are homemade MREs. And that's basically you get, you know, uh, can of tuna fish and stuff you like and that you eat and you put them together and and the cool thing about MREs is there's individual packages and you don't have to eat it all at once you can put it in your cargo pockets and eat it later and all that kind of stuff um uh let's see I'm, I'm a I'm a fan of instapots and crock pots um uh you know throw some rice and some water and some deer meat and spices you gotta have spices you absolutely have to have spices and sauces and that's another thing people overlook. And I'll tell you, beans and rice gets pretty bland. I'm yeah. a big fan of uh, masaka, masaka, uh, whatever, uh, corn flour. Uh, you just add water and you flatten it out and you make corn tortillas. Um, it's very cheap. Um, I'm a fan of canned chili. Um, number 10 tins, which are those pretty big cans you see. Like if you look in the back of a restaurant, you know, they got the number 10 tins. Yeah. They're like six pounds of food or something like that. Sam's or Costco's and 
Yeah, exactly. Get that um, kind of stuff. Yeah, so those are some those are some uh, good foods. Uh, if I could eat pancakes because they have flour in them, I, I was before they I got gluten gluten free pancakes. They're they're awful. They're again they're spices. There you go. Get you some yeah, spices. Spices. <laughs> sauce and some gluten free pancakes. Lots yeah. Why would anyone listen to my advice on prepping food if I just said that was good? <laughs> Sprinkle some bacon but, in there. Yeah, and you gotta have you gotta have um, comfort foods because morale is a big deal. Uh, everything in your food preps, you always need to think of also as possible barter items. I mean, we have diapers and feminine hygiene products, even though we don't use any of those. Yeah, just because charity wise and barter wise could be a good thing. You know, the only thing it, it's not just uh, five five six ammunition that, that's going to be good for barter. Think about stuff like, you know, diapers. Um, people are going to need all, all kinds of stuff that they're not going to be able batteries. to get. Batteries. What's that? I said batteries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got some solar arrays and some battery banks and some things for rechargeable. Antiseptic. Yeah, tourniquets. Bleach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you got it down. Yeah. 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 I've, I've done this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't openly talk about all my stuff, but I have awesome guests like you on to, to talk about and, <laughs> and share the information. But uh, there's lots and lots and lots that we could talk about. I would love to have you back on. I'd like to invite you to come back on again, and maybe we could get into some of the 2.0 uh, prepping um, tips and tricks that, that you and uh, Shelby. Did I get that right, Shelby? Yep, you sure did. Uh, Think of Shelby, Shelby Tennessee. About. That's how you can remember it. Shelby, Tennessee. I hate Shelby. That's Memphis. <laughs> oh, okay. Shelbyville. We can take Shelbyville. That's just down the road. That's a town uh, just outside of Murfreesboro. Famous for their horses, by the way. Ah. Uh, yeah. Tennessee walking horses. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to have you back on. Uh, is there anything else that we need to cover to make sure you got any other products or anything like that that our listeners should be aware of? Do you do classes or courses? No. Um, Prepping 2.0 is the podcast is effectively a class and a motivational thing every week. So we don't do classes per se. Yeah. I think that you would do. You would do well to have a like a physical class to have you know people come out to a location and teach them the you know the stuff in in person. I think you you guys would do well with a course like that. Just my suggestion. We've thought about it. Yeah. Just because but, I selfishly want to come. <laughs> yeah. Day jobs. Darn day jobs. Well, you know, maybe those will those will go away. You start those courses, you make the money from those courses, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you do uh defensive training courses, combat training courses, anything like that? Is that part of your, your prepping regime? Um, no, if you mean by do them, if you mean take, take, courses, take them. Yeah. Learn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have, and I don't have the time, uh, to go out and do it and, and being, you know, I'm just now recovering. I just got a, a port taken out of my right shoulder that was in my heart. Uh, that's right where a rifle stock goes. Hmm. So um, I haven't shot in, geez. So you're still recouping two, from two. your, uh, the cancer treatment and the, the COVID? 
No, they're they're pretty much over. Um, they are over. Um, it's just that um, I haven't been out training like I I would like to. Uh, I have in the past. It's it's phenomenally important. You know, training doesn't just help you get skills. It teaches you how to practice. I mean, it, it gives you the good stuff to do on your own time. You're learning how to practice, which is one of the key things about training that a lot of people. I, I don't think appreciate. Um, I, I most certainly do not know everything about gunfighting and every single course that I've ever been to, I've learned not just a little, but I've learned a lot. So, and, and they're fun too. There's, there's, there's yeah. it's, it's just a blast and it's, it's kind of cool. I go do stuff with, uh, take training classes, uh, with the team and they're all guys that are like 20 years younger than me. <laughs> um, and I'm the old guy. So when I could beat them, um, yeah, it felt pretty good. And you, you know? say with the team, is this your uh, preparedness team? Yeah, your fire team. Yeah, and they're they're still in Washington State. So we we you know me moving has kind of severed that, which is sad. But I see, it shouldn't because that offers up a whole other option for your group to be able to be mobile with. Yeah, You've extended the family. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. My thought. Yeah. Anywho, Glenn, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, greatly appreciate your interesting cat, man. Um, definitely want to have you back on sometime. My pleasure. Love it. Yeah, you've been you've been a great interviewer. You've kept the conversation lively and and. Well, uh, I, pro- I got- apologize. I'm normally more uh, organized than this. I, I've like I said, I just had surgery, so I just just now getting all the drugs out of my system to where I'm clear and clearer. I'm not hundred <laughs> percent clear right now. Um, but clear enough. So, yeah. uh, lead heads, make sure you go and show Glenn how much you appreciate him being on the show. And if you're interested in learning more about what he's doing, uh, go check out his website. You're not on the social meds as far as Instagram goes, but you're on Facebook and That's you right. got the website. Are you on Anything else? Just just Facebook. I'm old. Uh, the Grams, you know, it's too much work. You can't to be older than me. Oh, I'm 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 pretty damn old. I'm, yeah. pre- I'm pretty damn old too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm past fifties. So We're not okay, 50s. I'm in my I'm in my fifties. So. Yeah, yeah. We're probably about we look the same good, age. Though. We look pretty good for mid fifties. I gotta say, for, for going through all the shit we've gone through, hell yeah, we look yeah. great, brother. <laughs> These are city miles, not country miles. I mean, you know, city miles. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, Leadheads, go and show our sponsors some love. Uh, Keltec, go to keltecweapons.com. Go to Mission First Tactical, missionfirsttactical.com. Seal One, seal one.com. Uh, Factory 47, factory with a K F A K T O R Y 47.com. Flatline Fiberco, go to their website. Uh, defiant unit. Well, wait. I'm giving you everybody that has the code Leadhead. So you just put the code Leadhead in, and you're going to save some money on all of those uh, websites. If you go to Defiant Munitions, Leadhead all caps will get you 10% off. Um, there's another one. Here. 1776 United for our classic logoed items, shirts, patches. Uh, and our Leadhead Brigade, you go to 1776united.com, and it's Talking Lead, and you're going to get 20% off uh, there. 
So go show our sponsors some love. I don't know how much you appreciate bringing this to you free. Doesn't cost y'all a dime. Uh, but if you want to send me money, feel free. You can email me, talking at gmail.com, and I'll tell you how you can send me money. Or if you want to send me chocolates or whatever, I'm, I'm open to that. <laughs> Love hearing from the leadheads. If you've got show suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, or if you've just got jack wagons you want to nominate. And we didn't do the uh, the official planes and trains segment, Glenn. I have this segment we called we call the jack wagon train and we call the uh, leadhead brigade heroes. They get a ride on Lead Force One, uh, <laughs> but we kind of worked it in a little bit. Uh, sneakily you know, talking about some of the politics and stuff um, but that's it Leadheads uh, appreciate uh, 10 years of the support from you Leadheads and uh, you know that we will have some awesome giveaways I'll, I'll do some sort of big 10 year uh, special giveaway with all our, our friends and sponsors of the show uh, our last one we did was uh, this past December IWI put up a Galil and we had several of our uh, friends of the show that put up a nice package to go with that Galil Ace that we gave away. So more of that good stuff coming this year. Stay tuned. More guests like Glenn Tate, awesome guests, authors. Uh, who knows? You never know who's going to show up on the Talking Lay podcast. Maybe maybe we'll get uh, Jacob Herman. Uh, may, may make another guest appearance. He's been on the show several times. Uh, so Jacob is a, a friend of the show too uh, but again Glenn appreciate it and uh, you lead heads go show Glenn some love we get him back on the show but until then as always lead heads keep your loved ones close keep uh, your firearms closer it's uh, your job as a man to provide for your family and that means doing a little preparation in advance it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be time consuming it's your damn job you better do it right on <laughs>